Hi. Uh, we are live from, <laughs> from M Street Coffee. Thank you so much for having us, Andrea, once again. Um, it's always great to be here, uh, and we thank you for uh, having us. Um, tonight is going to be a great night. Uh, we have a great guest uh, in Christopher Lockhart. I am as I'm looking forward to tonight. Yes, you can you can give him a little hand. Yeah. Stop. Stay. We are going to get to him in a second, and I know that I am going to learn uh, quite a bit tonight myself. Uh, before we do, I like to always start with my rant of the week, and, and this one is sort of in honor of M Street. And it's um, my rules for working in a coffee shop. For those of you who like to come to M Street, first of all, always go. Rule number: This isn't even on my list, so we'll call it one A. Always go to an independent coffee house. They're the ones. They're the ones who need it. And you know, Starbucks is great and everything, but come on. All right. Rule number one: uh, No taking your shoes off in a coffee house. I can't believe I have to say that, but you know, I know Andrea makes this place feel like your living room, but it's not your living room. Um, don't bring your own food. Uh, you know, you can bring a candy bar, uh, but I don't want to see anybody unwrapping tinfoil things. The only smell I want is the smell of coffee and maybe a bagel. Uh, third, my friend brought in her uh, her sweet potato fries. I told her not to. Yeah, see, that's exactly what we're talking about. I told her. I said, Marge, don't you bring in your sweet potato fries. Rules rules have already been broken tonight. Uh, rule number three: um, No wearing. Flip-flops if you're a guy. Uh, nobody, nobody wants to see your feet. And that sort of goes for anywhere, not even coffee shop. I suppose if you're going to the beach, that would be OK. Um, you must leave a dollar tip. That's the starting point. For, that's the price of admission for sitting in a coffee shop. It starts at a dollar. It should be more. If you make more than, we'll call it $35,000 a year, $2 is your entry point. Um, assume, don't assume somebody's going to bust your table. Uh, these are usually the same people who take their shoes off. Uh, I, I know this sounds like, ha, ha, like that's not very original. But talking on the phone, I can't believe we're still talking about this. But I just, this is the deal. You answer your phone as you are walking out the door. That's all you have to do. But it's like, has anybody ever seen any Funny or Die videos that start with that asshole, like in an indoor place, talking on the phone? Don't talk on your phone. You're 10 steps away. Um, don't ask for another passcode uh, after yours is up, unless you're ordering something else or you're tipping really, really well. Um, don't ask for any drinks that require a novel to be written on the side of the cup. And I say that, Andrew, because I'm the most guilty of that. Um, don't play video games. I'm sorry. I guess you can, but it just sucks my soul out when I see that happening in a coffee shop. I just, you know, I come here as a respite, and I lose my faith in humanity when I see that. And this, pour yourself a glass of milk from the coffee station. I, I never thought I would say that, but here we are. I've seen it. And so those are your rules uh, if you're going to work in a coffee shop and if you're going to work here. Um, last thing I want to talk about, because this is uh, an evening about pitching. And as I said, we have uh, the preeminent speaker on the, on the topic. Uh, I have my list, and some of you know it, my eight rules for pitching, which will be fun. Because Christopher is sitting right next to me, and he's going to weigh in and tell me everything I got right and probably add a few things. But here's my personal list that I do myself. One is uh, know who you're pitching to. Find out as much as you can about that person, what they've made. Uh, it, you don't have to go in and say, oh, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. But if you can find some sort of reference point to at least let them know that you know who they are, you don't want to find yourself bashing a movie and have the poster behind you as you're talking about it, which actually happened to somebody I know. 
Um, when you're pitching, start by telling them the most sellable part of your pitch. We all want to like make creative, interesting movies, but it really is a business, and they are wanting to see those dollar signs. Um, there is a, the person. The best example of this is um, to be able to get them hooked in 30 seconds. And my example is here tonight, Darren O'Hare. Uh, his screenplay is called Groomzilla, uh, and this is something he sold, and he sold it because you know the whole movie in the title. Um, uh, so. The shorter the better, it's something, they, when, when you say it, they want to be writing the movie in their head. Um, if you can't do that, if it doesn't lend itself for that, that's when we start marrying things to each other. That's when we say, it's like this meets this, you know? When you do that, make sure the two things are different. Like, you don't want to say, you know, it's the hangover meets knocked up. Like, there's not much difference in those things. So you're trying to find some sort of spin. Um, if your idea can't be pitched quickly, and if you can't marry two things together, like if it just is something that feels a little more rote, uh, I, my favorite thing that my writing partner once did, we were pitching a haunted house TV show that was nothing original at all, but we just, so he said, 48% uh, of people believe in haunted houses, which is probably why haunted house movies from Amityville Horror to Paranormal Activity have made $1.3 billion at the box office. So he just went right for it. He just said, money. Do you like money? Basically, he said, do you like money? Because here we go to make it. No more than 20 minutes I'm, uh, I'm, for the pitch. I'm wondering what Christopher will say. 15 is even better. Don't be afraid to have some bullets in the chamber at the end. Sometimes I leave things a little open in the hopes that they'll ask a question. And then I can say, oh, it should be the sister, even though I knew it should be the sister. I'm like, that's a great idea. I love that. And then you write it down. Like, now you're collaborating. And if they don't buy it, you're going to go take their idea and pitch it to somebody else. Um, don't read off the page. Uh, you know, there was a world, I think, where you could get away with that, but now in the advent of cell phones, you just don't want to give them a second to look down. So I always, if you forget something, it probably shouldn't have been in your pitch anyway. You want to feel the rhythm. So we, don't, we used to do that, we don't anymore. Never submit in writing unless you have to. I always say, well, we never really wrote it down. It's not because I don't want some development person pitching up the chain. I want to be the one pitching that because believe me, the de development person can't pitch to the head of, Sony the way you can. Um, do not worry about somebody stealing your ideas. This is kind of, uh, Christopher, you, you'll talk to this, but I find that in today's world, and we had a little discussion about this, for those of you who heard the last speaker, Amy Brenneman did not agree with this, but she told a story from 13 years ago. I don't think anybody's stealing, just flat out stealing pitches these days. Sometimes it inadvertently happens because somebody forgets they heard a pitch. But with you know, emails, what they are, it just, I don't, it, it, it feels kind of rookie-ish when somebody comes to me and says, I want to have a private with you, but I, you know, I'm, you know, how do I know you're not going to steal my idea? I'm like, I'm not going to steal your idea about a bunch of guys who go to Las Vegas, I promise you. Okay, um, decide before you go in the, to the best of your ability that you really don't give a shit at the end of the day. That's the hardest thing. It's easier said than done. But I mean, I know a guy who actually, he, he's a producer and he gets a lot of people pitching TV. And he says he can smell desperation the minute somebody walks through the door. So really, try to think of all the reasons your life is better than the person you're pitching to. And believe me, they pro your life probably are. Um, this, is a big, this is a big one. Pitch to everybody in the room. It's going to be really tempting to just pitch to the person who is going to pull the trigger. But if you diss the people on either side of them, they'll never forget it for the rest of your career. And like as they're walking out of the pitch, they'll go back and you know the, the guy who's the head of, you know, TV will say, what did you think of that pitch? And they're not going to say, oh, I hated it. It sucked. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, no, that's a great pitch. It's a lot like what they have in development at CBS, but you know, they'll, they'll subtly take your knees out. So really make sure you pitch to everybody in the room. So those are my eight keys to pitching. And now we're going to move forward, and we're going to meet Christopher.
And uh, here he is, Christopher Lockhart. And I want to get to this in a minute. The first thing I like to do with these things, and I like to sort of say how I know somebody. And you are the first person I've ever had that I actually did not lay eyes on. We've talked on the phone before uh, you came in. But it's maybe the greatest LA story of all time, which is you produced a movie, The Collector, and one and two? One and two. One and two, with Julie Richardson, <laughs> who is my contractor, who did a... Uh, uh, it's a tough business, Yeah, folks. yeah. <laughs> who converted my house into a duplex. So, I mean, just in case, if you could not have a more Hollywood story, there it is. But I'm really, you know, the great thing is, is that, you know, this is a hard person to get. He's a good person to get. And so, if you ever want to get somebody to come into the room, just have your house converted into a duplex, and that should really work out for you. Okay. So, welcome. Thanks. Um, my first question that I want to ask you is, let's say, like, you wrote something called, I wrote a 120-page script but can't write a log line. If you found out that somebody had been handing that out to students for the last two years, would you engage in a lawsuit? I just need to know that right at the top. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, not at all. I have been using that. I have showed that right. to a lot of students. And, I threw um, it out on, that's why I threw it out on the internet. Yeah, right. So I, I, that's what I assumed. Um, but it's really great. You can find it online. It's, it's great. It's eight pages, and it covers everything. Um, I'd like to know what the log line is of your eight pages of 120 pages, but you can't write a log line. So you're a story editor at William Morris Endeavor, right? For those who don't know, and for me to a certain extent, what is it you do? Yeah, it's, it's sort of an odd job because it doesn't really exist within the agency world. It's really a, a, a job sort of in the studio world, and in many ways it's sort of antiquated. But I used to work at ICM, which is another talent agency, and I worked for the co-president, who was sort of an iconoclast, and he had his own, for lack of a better word, fiefdom at that agency. He's a very high-level talent agent who discovered the likes of Denzel Washington and Richard Gere, Michelle Pfeiffer, Mel Gibson, uh, Liam Neeson, Robert Downey, I'm going to go on and on. And so um, he sort of created the the job because he needed somebody to help him find projects for his clients. So he was very busy on the business side of things. He needed to uh, make the deals. But which projects were appropriate? You know, what was right for what client? And so uh, that's sort of the basic gist of what I do. So now I work with, um, I still work with Denzel and... Um, That's Denzel Washington. Yeah, Denzel Washington. Not to be confused okay. with Denzel um, McGillicuddy. Jones. Yeah. Or, um, and um, Matt Damon, uh, Ben Affleck, Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman. And what do you um, do? I mean, what, I'm, I'm, find, I'm finding their movies. You're finding so their movies. So Matt Damon starred in The Martian mm -hmm. this, this, this year. I found that script for him. Wow. So, um, and it wasn't really that hard because it was kind of all over town. Yeah, that's true. But, but you know, uh, my job is to sort of find stuff. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a script. It could be a magazine article, an old TV series like The Equalizer, uh, uh, and uh, put it on the radar of the client. And why you? I mean, why did, why did he want it? That's okay. That's okay. That's, that just proves we're in a coffee house. But why, why, did, he, why were, did he feel like you were the man for this job? What, would, what in your past sort of... I always like to ask, Hollywood stories are so weird. Like, what led you to this position? Well, I, I, you know, I, I, was, uh, I worked as a writer for 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still in the Writers Guild. <laughs> I, um, 
but I also worked with uh, a few actors, uh, giving them notes on scripts that they were considering uh, starring in. Uh, and so one of these actors happened to be a client of this particular agent, and I guess a conversation sort of started, and um, this actor said to the agent, hey, you know, you should meet this guy because he might be able to help you. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really interested mm -hmm. in working for an agency. It was actually the last thing that I wanted to do. But sort of there was like, I was going through like a psychological perfect storm in my life and, and stuff. So at any rate, it's like 18 years later. Wow. Uh, that agent that I worked for has since passed away. And then I was bequeathed um, to Patrick Weitzel, who's the co-CEO of WME alongside R. Emanuel. Right. So, um, and so that's, so that's, so like the job hasn't really changed all that much, but I also help clients to develop scripts. Right. Um, I work with Steve Martin mm -hmm. and he's also a writer. Um, I was just working with a client, a former client, uh, named Nate Parker. He just, uh, wrote, produced and starred in The Birth of a Nation, mm -hmm. which is about, uh, Nat Turner. And mm -hmm. it actually just got into Sundance. And so I worked with uh, him on developing that script, and then um, I worked in the editing room mm -hmm. with him. Uh, I will, if a client is unhappy with the cut of a movie and wants to take his name off it, I'll go in and work with the producing team and, and the editor to try to find the movie that the client thought was, was being made. So, um, so I really do a lot of different things, but everything has to do with story, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's very creative. Right. So I'm right. not doing any business. Yeah. That's great. And, and you're not held accountable really for any, like you get to sort of amorphously move from one thing yeah, to the Yeah, because it's like, you know, I can recommend uh, uh, a script that I've been working with Richard Gere for, you know, many, many years. And so a few years back, there was a script that, that I just, I read and I loved and it was like old fashioned. I thought he would be terrific in it. And it was called Autumn in New York. And, and we also repped Winona. And, you know, so I was like, yeah, let's put Winona Ryder in it. And uh, they ended up hating each other. The movie bombed. Uh, and he's still to this day. Every, anytime I'll say, Richard, I've got a great script for you. Oh, is it like Autumn in New York? Right, right, right. And um, they always remember. They the remember ones the bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's uh, you know. But I can always say, well, it was a good script. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, always, it was the director fucked it up, I and totally she actually be, did. Yeah. Well, that's the best part of, of writing a script is that it it sucks when you're a writer because they very quickly don't want you anywhere near the project. But then you can just say, like, that wasn't the script I gave him. You know, so you, you, gotta, you get, get some good CYA out of that. Right. And the good thing about working with the clients that I work with is that they have the clout to uh, get whatever they want. Right. So if they don't like a script, you know, they will always get, uh, you know, the final word on a script and rewrites and uh, edits and, you know, all of that. Mm. So... Uh, Which I'm guessing has mixed results. That would be my guess. Uh, it always works in our favor, actually. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to go through the process of pitching, and I want to start with the logline, because the logline is a really important thing. They're going to want to you know, have something to get a handle on when you walk through the door. And uh, you know, one of the things you say in that document I said is, and I love this, it's you want to, you want to know in your logline, in that one, you, you say one sentence. A lot of times I give students three. You say one, maybe two. And in that one sentence, we have to know who the story is about, the protagonist, what he strives for, the goal, 
what stands in his way, the antagonistic forces, which I love this because it sounds so simple. It sounds so simple. Right, go write your log line. Tell me how simple it is. But it actually is simple. Yeah. The reason that writers have a hard time with it is because they create a concept that lacks all that stuff. You know, they've actually written a script that doesn't have an active protagonist, that doesn't have an antagonistic force. It's actually very easy to, to write a log line if your script works. If the script doesn't work, then you're going to have a hard time writing the log line. Well, that's why I always say start with your log line. When, when you guys go through the process with me, sometimes I've, I've spent, people have, like, who take a, for a round of class with me sometimes don't find their log line until the third class. And even then, you know, I've had people that, and then throw that away because you want to have a clear thing to aim for. You know, give yourself a wide target by at least knowing what you're writing about. Um, so uh, one of the things I wanted to, oh, another thing I like about that you always say is the key verb in most of, like in that article, you, you do a lot of, he gives a lot of examples of log lines, and the verb is always struggles. That's the verb. And you use it, you use it to describe almost, in almost every log line you that, use, right? And, and, yeah, and that's like, my own thing. Right. And, and, but because the, the reason I like the word struggles is because it, it connotes action, right? Mm -hmm. It also sort of uh, lends to like scope. You mm -hmm. know, you sort of, a struggle can be over years. You know, it's like, uh, uh, like John McClane struggles to save his wife from terrorists in, you know, mm -hmm. an L.A. skyscraper. So, right. Um, when people use other words like um, my script is about Mary who um, who thinks about you know getting married. All right, so she thinks about getting I'm married. I'm watching like, a person think. Yeah, like for an hour and a half. Like, yeah. What does that even mean? So uh, and I hear somebody like that all the time. Right. From students or from new writers. Um, so I would say, you know, think in terms of the struggle because that's what a movie is. A movie is, is about a character who has a problem and struggles to solve that problem. I mean, it's very simple. It really right. is very simple. Yeah, no, I, I It's love... very difficult, yes. but it's very simple. Yeah, <laughs> once you get past the difficulty, it becomes very simple. But it, it, struggles is always just such a great way to approach it. You know, a lot of times people say, you know, I want to write a script about someone from L.A. who goes home to their hometown. Okay, We've seen some of those before, but what's his or her particular struggle once they get there? It's not just, you know, this scene's funny and that scene's funny. It's the struggle we, we want to witness. Um, so let me just ask. You heard my keys to pitching. I don't know if you're paying attention. You might have yeah, been was. looking off into another direction. Um, what did I get wrong, and what do you want to add? Is there anything you want to add? No, you know, I, I think that um, I'd say probably the most important thing about pitching is to know your story. And that sounds like, duh, but you're going to be pitching to some people who actually know what they're doing. Not everybody. But if you pitch to me, I actually know what I'm doing. And I'm kind of annoying sometimes to, to pitch to because I'll, I will stop you constantly and ask questions, which actually is a good thing because it means that I'm engaged and that I'm curious, which is what you want to do. If... I'm not talking, and you're doing all the talking, I guarantee you. I'm like, so you really want to engage people. And, uh, but I'm going to ask questions, and you better know the answers. So, and I ask a lot of questions sometimes about things, and 
Sometimes the writer will say, you know, I haven't figured that out yet, which is always the great answer because, you know, I'm always very kind to that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, you know, because it's hard sometimes to work stuff out, you know. I get it. But other times there's just some stuff that, you know, it's like, I, it takes me, like, you can pitch and it takes me maybe, I don't need to ask you anything, I, just from a log line, if you've actually written the script, from your log line alone, I can tell you if the script works or not. I, I can tell you if the script works or not. Is everybody excited just, to pitch their log lines just, later tonight? Just from the he's, log line. He's not even going to give you feedback. He's just going to put his thumb up or down after you, after you pitch it Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll have to ask a few questions you know, because I want to get a better idea of something. But usually max is three questions. And then I'll have your whole movie down. The thing is, this is you know, I've read over 50,000 scripts. So you're not really writing anything that I haven't read before, don't know the template of, uh, you know, you're just finding a new way to, to tell a story. You know, E.T. was just Lassie comes home with, you know, a fucking alien. So, you know, it's not like anything is like, you know, all this brand new. It's just, you know, how do you sort of redress stuff? And uh, so the archetypes, the templates... Uh, are all the same. And so you can pitch something to me and, you know, I go in to my database and I'm like, all right, you know, I've probably read 476 similar scripts to this and, and I know what worked in those scripts and what didn't work in those archetypes, which is why then I can sort of juxtapose what you're pitching against that stuff and then sort of say, yeah, you know, you might want to try this or you might want to try that because I don't know if this sounds like it's working. Yeah, no, I, I think the, the thing I really uh, want to key in on is this idea of story uh, when you're pitching, because one of the things we, we also do is after the log line, we go to a beat sheet. And a lot of times when people are filling out their beat sheet, they'll write something like, and then there's this really funny scene where, and I'm like <laughs> crossing that right out, because the really funny scene is not meant for, to be in a beat sheet. Uh, you can color in your pitch with a funny scene if it comes out of a story point. But you really want to stay on story. I mean, that is, I think that really is the key. Um, so tell me, what are the pitches? Like, I am always, I feel like I'm always chasing the, the you know, I'm, I'm the, the tail on the dog in terms of what's going on. You know, the minute that, oh, you know, after The Hangover many years ago, we all want Las Vegas movies. You know, then there's Bridesmaid, you know, which was, and I, was, and I hope this is still happening, but, the, you know, female-driven comedies was sort of the, the buzzword around Hollywood. And I'm wondering, is there anything right now that seems to be a pattern of what, Studios are responding to? Uh, well, you know, I think that we're going to start to see uh, more space movies. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if we're not going into outer space, you know, we'll be going underwater. Uh, so, you know, there'll be that sort of uh, trend. But trying to capture a trend is not always a good idea because you see today that certain kinds of scripts are selling, so you go off to write your script, it takes you nine months. And then by the time you're done with your third or fourth draft, that trend is way over. Right, right. So uh, it's, it's, it's always best to try to find, most importantly, what you are passionate about and what you want to write. Hopefully, it's something that people want to see. You know, that's why a person like Jim Cameron is so successful. You know, whether you like Titanic or not, I mean, who cares if you like Titanic? You know, billions of people liked it. So, uh, you know... That's what matters, because this is not, you know, this is not a business 
like painting, where you know I'm going to paint that painting back there and I'm going to stick it in the back of the coffee house and maybe somebody's going to buy it or maybe somebody's not. Uh, you're going to make a movie maybe for two, three million dollars, you know, maybe 30,000 or maybe, you know, 150 million dollars. It's for mass consumption. It's for mass consumption. And so you really want to create something, especially as new writers, like Groomzilla, especially as new writers, you want to be able to create something that is going to excite people that sell. Yeah, my, my agent once said to me, um, you know, you can write a story about a boy dying of AIDS in Greenwich Village, but you have to tell me who that audience is. Like, who's, that sounds like a good story, but who really wants to see that story? He's not saying nobody, but he wants right. to know, right. you know, because then you look at your audience and then you decide your budget working backwards from there. Like, that's a, a good way to know, okay, I, that's, a, that's the thing I always, when, when people pitch to me, I'm like, oh, like halfway through, like, this is an indie. Oh, okay. And I start changing all my stuff because if what you're going for is an indie, and I would really suggest having a wealthy relative, if that's the route you want to go, then you do get a little more leeway with what you're trying to say. But if you're trying to go to a studio, it's going to have to be a log line. I mean, that's my thoughts on yeah, it. And, you know, you still, even, even with an independent film, you still need a log line because you still need to communicate that story to talent and to money people and to distributors. Uh, if there's a film festival in the future, you need to give them a log line as well. So you always, always need a log line. Uh, for new writers, if you're trying to break into Hollywood, mm -hmm. yeah, then going the independent route doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you just want to write scripts and maybe find some independent money, which is very, very hard to do, because um, even if you get the money, then you got to find the, the distribution. Oh, sure, you can stick it on YouTube, but three people will see it, you know. Because then you're still stuck with the dilemma of how do you bring eyeballs to it. So, um, you, you know, you, you do need to understand who the audience is. You also have to understand who, who the buyer is. Um, and listen, though, you know, if you write that story about the boy with AIDS and you send it around Hollywood, they all might say, yeah, we're not interested in this script. There's no way we're going to buy it, and there's no way we're going to make it. But we love the writing. You have a lot of talent. This script is terrific, and we would like to work with you somehow. You know, we have some projects that we think you might be great for. Uh, that's happening now, and it's happening like 10 years ago. In order for that to happen, you would have had to have at least sold a spec. Right. Now, you don't even have to sell a spec. you got to, the blacklist. To, to have the, you've got, like, buzz. There's, like, stuff in town that can create heat around you, like the blacklist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a friend who wrote a script. It was number two on the blacklist maybe, like, a, two years ago. It was uh, called Rodham, and it's about Hillary Rodham Clinton. And it's, it's a solid script, and uh, it goes out around town. People read it. People start talking about it because it's about... Hillary, and it's specifically about the, the time in her life when she met Bill, and she was uh, involved in the Watergate investigation. And, um, and just at that time, when the blacklist comes out, the script is at number two, Hillary Clinton like, has a stroke. Do you remember this? Like two years ago, she had a stroke, or she like, fell down the stairs. I don't know what happened, but she was all over the news. I don't think it was a stroke. Well, whatever. <laughs> well, it, it stroke, could have been a little stub yeah. to be a big yeah, stroke, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. like a little stroke. And, um, and so how do they fill out the news story? They fill it out, you know, Hillary Clinton had a stroke the other day, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, 
Hollywood's top actresses are, you know, competing to play her in a new hot script that appeared on the blacklist. And then that created all this buzz for this guy. Nobody ever bought the script. Yeah, the script would, never yeah. sold, ever sold. Yeah. But, now, but now he's staff writing a TV series in New York. Okay. And, and I would even say, like, if you wrote that script, what are the companies who, who maybe HBO? I mean, I, I can't even, I can't, on three fingers, I couldn't tell you who's going to make that. Participant? I don't know. But, I mean, the studios aren't, are never going to make that. They're never going to make that. Unless it's Nixon and it was a Pulitzer award-winning player. And even or, stuff or like, like Meryl Streep stepped up and said, yeah, I right. want to play that's Hillary. Right. That's your other option. So get Meryl Streep, you guys. Get Meryl Streep. And Although she really you. couldn't play Hillary when she's 20. Maybe she could have. Yeah, yeah, knowing she could. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything she can't right. do, really? Right. I hate her. Um, now, when it comes to, so we, we talked about sort of chasing the tail of Hollywood. But, you know, I always feel there are some evergreen ideas, like, Weddings. I mean, I feel like there's always going to be a market for weddings. There's always going to be a market for Christmas. Do you think that's not true? Or, what, or do you feel like, uh, I don't know. Uh, as long as you're not writing the Christmas script that's about Santa Claus is really tired because nobody has the Christmas spirit. So there's these two children that decide to go out and find the Christmas spirit along with some elves. And, and, I mean, I've read that script. They've made it a thousand times. And I've read it. A hundred thousand so times, yeah. and it's and it's always bad. Or like the cloning of Christ. Everybody that I, I've read that a thousand times. You know, the cloning, the of, cloning Christ. of Christ. Oh I, I get a guy who comes in and says, "All right, so I have this amazing story. Imagine Christ is cloned, and then, and then I say, let me guess, DNA shroud of turn. You know my script." <laughs> yeah, and yeah, good luck I, selling yeah, that to America. Like, I've only read it 50,000 times. The so. flyover states are going to love that. Um. Which is why I think often it sort of helps if, if you are putting some of yourself, you know, your experiences uh, that, that you're writing from the heart rather than necessarily trying to sort of capture some sort of Hollywood zeitgeist or, or something that you think, like, for example... I get so many query letters from, from people that, that I can tell immediately you know, they're trying to find that, you know, uh, Hollywood golden grail thingamajig, holy grail. And so they're pitching me basically their version of Lord of the Rings or their version of Harry Potter. And they're always god-awful, terrible, horrible. And it's obvious to me what they're trying to do. Uh, and then, of course, they always say, not only do I have this, but I've also written the next eight scripts in the franchise. Huge mistake. Oh, my God. It's like the, op it's like the opening of that pitch is, do you like money? We'll start right there. Um, but, you know, I used to really um, a lot of times tell students to try to write something that is sellable. And now I'm finding, because of what we were talking about a little earlier, this goes back with the blacklist and things, I think it now is more than ever a time to write something that you're close to, that has heart, that matters, because I think that will get you more noticed. If you write, like, um, you know, if you, if you write a Groomzilla-type uh, script, are you enjoying this, Darren, that, like, you're the, the compare, and it doesn't sell. It's a good it's title. Not, it, then what are you going to do? You know, there's not much you can do with it after that. It's not going to get you the heat you want. It didn't sell. But if it's something that never was meant to sell, it can almost do more for you in a, in a very strange Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Let me just say, by the way, about the blacklist, so we're very clear about the blacklist that in, in order to get on the blacklist, uh, your script needs to have been read by a lot of people in town. 
and, and often that's facilitated through representation. Mm -hmm. So if you know, you're not, you don't have a decent agent, the odds of you getting on the blacklist sort of go down exponentially. It's not that there aren't, there have been many people. In fact, the guy that wrote mm -hmm. Rodham mm -hmm. uh, did not have an agent. In fact, he didn't even have a manager, I believe, at the time. I could be wrong, but he definitely didn't have an agent. But, but still, in order to get on that list, people have to read your script. It's basically a popularity contest, more so than really like it's a great script. And I can tell you that agents and managers lobby to get their people on it now. Well, I think things have changed. Things can change or have changed or because I, I know I. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Lots oh, oh, what do, oh, oh, yeah, oh, there's, good, good. There's something called, this lady's very smart. Okay, yeah. 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 So, Can we differentiate for a second? Yes, yes. Okay, I was, I okay. was about to. Okay, no, very good. All right, so the blacklist that I'm, that I'm referring to is, a, is by the guy that, had, that created blacklist.com, Franklin Leonard. Leonard Franklin, whatever his fucking name is. All right, so um, the blacklist is an annual list that is compiled of Hollywood's most favorite scripts. And um, so a hundred executives around town are, are, are polled. What, you know, give me your 10 most favorite scripts that you read this year. And then whichever script gets the most mentions is at the top of that list. And then the, the script that's at the bottom got some, but not as many as, as at the top. And uh, the films that have been launched from that are like Juno was at the top of that Beaver. Blacklist one year, The Beaver, um, and uh, things, we, things We Lost in the Fire with Halle Berry. And um, so that's the blacklist that I'm talking about. Then there's the blacklist.com, which is a little bit of sort of a shyster thing, in my opinion, that, uh, that you know, the guy does a great job marketing, but... Uh, but it doesn't have the clout that the other black. Well, it doesn't have the clout the other one does. But I'm going to say close. that I Not have. Even a, close. I have. Yeah, no, of course. But I have several success stories on that. Um, one of them, some of you guys know Bethany Jaber. She wrote a script that sat in a drawer forever. She's passed it around. Didn't do much. She put it up there, and it shot up. You know, on that thing, and she got a lot of calls, and she ended up uh, optioning it to the company that did. Um, you know, what is it? Theory of everything. Thank you. Got it. Glad you guys know that story. Right. So, no, I'm saying I think it's becoming more and more of a well, thing as it gets bigger. The thing is, is that, is that even, even if I feel that it's sort of dubious, mm -hmm. um, the truth of the matter is, is that it is, it is some sort of entree. Mm -hmm. uh, because there aren't always a lot of options. You know, you can't go knock on the door at CAA and say, hey, does anybody here want to read my script? So, uh, unfortunately... The, you know, the, the issue that I have is the fact that, you know, they're taking money from writers. Mm -hmm. You see, I think it should be reversed. I think that if the executives around town really believe that it's an amazingly terrific service, then let them pay for it and let the writers put their scripts up for free. But any, but <laughs> any time you get anything that's asking money from the artist, from the writer beware. So all I'm saying is beware because they know where their bread is buttered, these guys. So that's all I'm going to say you, because you like it. I'm not saying I don't like it. 
Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that it's a, you know, it's a little suspect, that's all. I do like it too, and I wish there was a sponsor. I do sort of understand the need to pay these readers who are reading it, and I think that's where them. I'm not acting like somebody's not making a lot of money. I think that's probably true. And guess what, by the way? Those readers are making $25 a script, all mm -hmm. right, which is about $50 less than the readers, let's say, at WME are making. Mm -hmm. And they're actually, cre they're actually bringing down you know, now it's getting harder to get reading jobs. Like in the old days, you know, you guys could go out and get reading jobs and get $60, $70, a script. Now you'd be lucky if you get 25 because places like The Blacklist are pulling down the fees. All right, well then, yeah, this, I, is I got, not a, this is not a question I was going to ask, but I will ask this I now. Got, I what? got a lot of problems with this, don't I? No, no, no. But here's my question for you then, because I would love, it's, it's, it's not one of our scheduled questions, but you've earned it. What would you say to a writer who's finished a script? I mean, this is the hardest thing. And this is a question that everybody asks me. What do I do with my script when it's done? And it's always changing. This is the answer to this it, question. It I'm is, wondering. It is always changing. I would say uh, try to get a manager. Not an agent. Try to get a I manager. I totally agree. I, I say that too. Yeah. Because, and why? Because managers are about developing talent. Uh, they will develop scripts. Agents are about the paycheck. So if you, if you bring something to an agent and it's, and, and it's not in a condition to sell at this time, then he'll say, yeah, yeah, the script is okay, but I really can't sell it yet, but I'd like to read the rewrite. Where a manager would read that first draft and say, hey, this has got a lot of potential, let's work together on this. And then when it's ready, we'll take it out because I'll know the people in town to share this with. And they'll take it out to agents. In other words, they're, the agents are waiting right. for that, you know, that introduction, but right. they're not going to hear from you. You're going to get a form letter back that says, we didn't read this thing at all. And th good luck to you. Also, um, to managers attach, some managers attach as producers. So, and, and although, you know, again, I have some ethical issues with it because they're kind of wearing two hats in some ways because they are, as your manager, they are your... They are your employee, but as your producer, they are your employer. And so there is a conflict of interest, and, it, and it, it takes a very, very professional person to be able to walk that line. I have many friends who are managers, and they do it, and we often debate about it, but you know, these guys are professional and very, very good at what they do, and, uh, but it's just something to be aware of. But the fact that they do attach as a producer means they have more skin in the game because they have the potential to make a lot more money as a producer rather than taking 10% as a manager, which means they'll work a lot harder for you. Right. Agents often do that as well on TV shows. They'll take a producer's fee rather than their commission. They take a licensing fee. Remember, agents uh, yeah. can't produce. It's illegal for agents to produce. So, what, so the, agency, the agency takes a 3% licensing fee of the uh, production budget of the show. Um, and, and that also, some people say, you know, kind of becomes a little bit of a conflict of interest uh, as well. Are you saying there are some ethical problems with the way Hollywood is run? <laughs> I really find that hard to believe. Um, okay, I want to talk a little bit just in terms of, the, of actual pitching. Um, so you mentioned earlier that, that there are, you know, I will ask questions. What is a question you find yourself asking more times than you'd like to, uh, you know, when someone's pitching to you? Uh, okay, what is your character doing in this movie? So what's his journey? Right, that, yeah. because, I, because I hardly ever hear it. Yeah. Or, it's, or it, it doesn't sound dramatic or it doesn't sound cinematic. Mm 
right. to me. I'm like, wow, that might make like a great poem, but uh, you know, I'm not, 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 not quite sure about a movie. Yeah, that's a very common thing that you guys have heard from me. Someone will come to class, usually it's people that graduated from college, and you know, they start in their, you know, they tell me all their checkoff credits, and then they write a movie that has just people sitting around talking about right. it. And I'm like, that's a great play, but that is not the medium of Hollywood. You know, it's got to be visual. We've got to be seeing things. Which leads us to, this is the question I want to ask you is, because so many people have different answers for this. What is a set piece? A set piece is a, uh, it's a, um, I don't want to say big, because, it's, because it isn't. It is um, an important scene in your movie, something that can be pitched, that's pitchable, or something that you could see in a trailer. Yeah. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be, be big. So a movie like Ordinary People mm. can have a set piece. Uh, a movie like Titanic can have a set piece, and anything in between. Um, so it would be sort of commensurate to your genre and tone, but uh, people I, will ask in a pitch. I usually don't, but people will ask. So, like, what's a like like a if it's an action movie? Okay, so what's a really big set piece? Well, you know, we've got this amazing scene at the top of the new uh, Freedom Tower in Manhattan, and blah 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 blah. Well, I'll tell you why you don't need to hear set pieces because the set pieces come out of the story. And you, if you tell a good story, you're, the, the person you're pitching to will know those set pieces or, or know enough about the story to imagine what can be done with those set pieces so that when they fire you off the project, they can give it to somebody who's good at set pieces. I might, might ask if I feel like I've got everything else down. You know, like, okay, you got... Because sometimes to sort of ask for a set piece when, like, the character's not there and there's no struggle and there's no movie... Who really cares what the set piece is? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. You, you talk about set pieces, and they can be big and small. Like, you know, go watch a Coen Brothers trailer, because those set pieces are tiny, but they're set pieces. You know, some guy in, in you know, wearing a bear's hat on a horse. Like, there'll be weird things, right. but it definitely brings your eyes in and makes you want to go see it. But it's not somebody on a motorcycle turning sideways going under the truck. I mean, it doesn't right. have to be that. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, to be a set piece. Um, so what are the things that, that and, and you've, you've hit on this, you know, but there, like there are certain things that I find absolutely sink a pitch, like right out of the gate, you know, and I'm wondering, are there some things that you're right away, you're like, this, this is, you know, okay, when's lunch, you know? I, I think that when sort of I, I can tell pretty quickly that a person's going to sort of relate the entire movie to me from beginning to end as if mm -hmm. I'm watching it mm -hmm. rather than pitching it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, that's always sort of like, ugh. When they start with, okay, over credits. Yes, that's exact, when exactly when they start right. with, When they right. start with over credits. Yeah, but that's, I mean, I, I really agree with that. I mean, I, I really think, and we always talk about this, my writing partner and I, is, you know, what's the shortest way we can do this? Like, is it, because if it's really good, if it's really good, you should be able to do it in seven minutes. I mean, and then it's just the fun talking about stuff afterwards. Exactly you know, like, right. yeah. yeah. Um, so what's the difference between, like, in other words, let's say Judd Apatow's going into pitch to Sony, right? And then these guys are going into pitch to Sony. What's the difference in terms of what, I mean, well, he may not be a good example because he can get away with anything. But, get away with but, but what, are, what are the things that somebody who is newer now, they have to have a good spec script because nobody's going to hire you if you don't have a, a, a sample. But what's the, what's the, what are the liberties they're not going to be afforded? That, you, know, you know what I mean? Like being a well, first I, time. I think that be, if you're experienced, if these people that 
uh, an experienced writer um, uh, is pitching a story to, they, they have seen or they know this person's work. Mm -hmm. They know what this person can do. Mm -hmm. So they feel a lot more confident. Plus, they don't have to sort of um, uh, try to sell it as hard to other people at the studio, let's say. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, if it's you, well, we haven't seen your movies, you know, and you just have this one spec script, and I love it, and it's a great, it's a terrific spec script, but doesn't mean that I know what you can do. I don't know how you take notes. I don't know how you're going to get along with the development team. Uh, it's those things as opposed to uh, a writer who has a reputation. and says, Oh, yeah, I've worked with him a million times. He's awesome. You know, you give him notes. He executes everything. He's terrific. Whereas opposed to a new writer, it is that unknown entity. Well, and the other thing is this just saying, you know, how do you take notes? A lot of times you can tip your hand at a meeting and not even know it. When, somebody, when a producer says to you, you know, I was thinking about blah, 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 and you inadvertently furrow your brown e brow, even if it's just because you're deep in thought, you can be conveying, I don't like that note, and suddenly they're like, yeah, and maybe you are conveying that. But I always just, I'm, I've said this before, I'm like a bobblehead. I just keep nodding along Absolutely, like yeah. an idiot. And, you know, yeah, that's wow, like, that's a great idea. Where do you idea. come up with these things, yeah. you genius? Fantastic. Yeah. No wonder you're an executive. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I want to, oh, this is, yeah, this is, uh, so I want to talk about, I, I just had this on my sheet, and while we're here, uh, you had a log line for the Oscar-winning crash that I really like because I'm just imagining hearing this, but the log line you have is, Racial tensions boil over during a 24-hour uh, period in Los Angeles. Isn't it, but it, that is the log line. It, but it's, who would but buy the, that? But, and guess what? what? That movie had a hard time getting going. Yeah. Nobody wanted to be in that movie, by the way. That script went around town. Everybody passed. Nobody in town was interested in being Crash until one actor, Don Cheadle, got interested, and then he just started calling all his friends. Right, right, right. And that's what happened. That's how a lot of movies often get made. You get that one actor who likes it and says, hey, come on, let's go make this movie. It'll be fun. It's got something to say. And people are like, okay, fine. Yeah, you know, I, you get, some of you have heard me say this before, but like actors and, and people in Hollywood, you know, everybody has a certain amount of chips, you know? So like Spielberg's got a million chips and I have three, you know? And so when somebody comes to me and says, would you do something, would you pass this on? I sort of got to play a chip with that person. And if it doesn't go well, bye-bye to that chip, you know? And so I think... When you have an actor who's willing, to, and they're very rarely interested in, nobody wants to be the first one in the pool, you know, because then it's on you. But once, you know, you get a little bit of groundswell, it can very much go that way. And listen, that script came to me for my clients, and I, I thought it was okay, but I thought it was very, very ham-fisted. You know, it just kept shoving its message down my throat. I agree. And, I, um, I wouldn't have got my vote. And, and also, too, Paul Haggis, he wrote for the fucking Facts of Life. Yeah. This guy, this guy was, he wrote for the, he was a TV writer. So, you know, you're like, you're like, what? You know, Blair and Joe and Natalie, Tootie, brilliant stuff. That Tootie on the skates, Why? brilliant. Oh but, come on. Why didn't he go to them to cast it? That would have, you know, that would have, that certainly would have opened. But. Very different movie. But, Very by the way, movie. who got the last laugh? Paul Agus. He did. Yeah. Because he walked away holding an Oscar. Yeah. And that's what's so awesome about this. Well, and that also says, I mean, that also says something that we talk about and, and the direction I'd like to see a lot of you guys going is to sort of write what you know, especially for your first time out. You know, a lot of times people will come up with an idea and they're like, okay, close in on Mars, you know, and, it's a, and they start pitching this world. And I'm a little bit like, you know, this is a big 
thing to bite off for your first project as opposed to sort of staying with something that really, you know, you know and you can relate to. Also, too, by the way, that, that log line, because Crash is really an ensemble piece, mm -hmm. so it's very difficult to sort of say it's about this particular protagonist because it's not. It's, it's a piece about a lot of people. There is no one character in it. And so when you're writing a log line for an ensemble piece, you tend to gravitate toward the theme of it, like you look at something like Love Actually, which takes place over the Christmas season and is about all different kinds of love, right? Or Nashville, which takes place in Nashville in, in the music industry. You know, these are commonalities in ensemble pieces. They're often unified by time and place and theme, all the different stories in them. And so then at, as a result, that's, that's the way the log line gravitates if you want to accurately represent the story. Right, and with stories like that and with the Altman films, I mean, there is a sort of, you need a bit of a name to get those things off the ground. It's you like, don't need a bit of a name. You, yeah, need, you need a, a huge name. Yeah. Right, right. Um, okay, I want to, there's a couple things I want to do. I want people to, to pitch some ideas, and, um, and uh, Christopher said he will, if you want to pitch TV, he's open to that too. But before we get into that, because he, he actually said, you know, why don't you just open it up to questions right from the start? I'm like, well, I, I'd like to ask some questions before. <laughs> um, but but before we do that, do people have any questions about pitching and you know that they wanted to ask that they feel weren't covered? Boy, that hand went right up. It's like, why wasn't this question asked? Okay, okay let's hear. Yeah. Do you suggest pitching your own script? Well, who else's script are you going to pitch? Oh, I, okay. I see what you're saying. Um, you know, I mean, no. I, I don't know I, who says that. I, I would really, I would never let anybody, I would never want anybody to pitch it because I want that passion. I want that, you know, I don't know about you, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's your script, then you, then you should be pitching it. I meet some writers sometimes and they tell me, and yeah, oh, well, there's this producer and he's interested in my script and he's going to pitch it around town. And producers do do that. It's like, oh, you know, I've got, you know, he's got a really, really big meeting, but he doesn't want to bring me. And I'm just always like, mm, it feels icky, mm -hmm. you know. And, and again, you know, I'm with you with the whole sort of stealing thing. Listen, nobody's going to, 99% of the time, your, idea, your script, your idea sucks. You couldn't <laughs> fucking give it away. You couldn't put a $100 bill on it and pass it out on a street corner in Hollywood. People would not be interested. I'm telling you. Uh, people give me scripts and like, you know, oh, yeah, they want me to sign, you know, um, uh, you know, NWA, you know, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 no. They're like, well, you know, I need a confidentiality agreement and blah, blah, blah. And then I read the script and I'm like, this is the worst piece of trash. You took away two hours out of the, my life that I could have spent with my kid. I, I steal this. I, I want to burn it. <laughs> so, All right. and good night, everybody. Good luck, though. <laughs> Go write your scripts, and best of luck to you. And, and so uh, put, so put the ego aside. All right. Nobody's gonna steal your script. Believe me. Uh, any other questions? Yeah, Andy. Uh, how many of the shows you want um, people to like when they're pitching? You want to like Nashville, like after they pitch the thing, you bring in like little, I don't know, diagrams. If you know, if you think if you think that your story could benefit 
with that, then sure. Uh, that was what the uh, Wachowski brothers did with the Matrix. They had all sorts of visual aids because they knew that without them, nobody would understand the pitch, right? So, um, but you know, you want you know you want to use sort of common sense uh, because if you're pitching sort of like uh, an action movie and you've got some goofy presentation where your where the tone of your pitch isn't matching what it is you're pitching, that becomes very problematic. So you, I think so you need to be smart. Yeah, but you know something to remember that ultimately you're a storyteller. So you should be able to tell your story without having to necessarily bring in visual aids. Sometimes, and you just got to be careful, because sometimes those visual aids, like they come across as, you know, the kid who used to turn in the report with the folder and the, you know, like, and the, the thing sucked, but he, but he organized it so well. You know, it feels like you're trying to hide your idea behind all this, these bells and whistles. Sometimes it can be great, but that is a risk you, you may run. Yeah, it's a risk. Yeah. Any other questions about pitching? Yeah. Uh, the, like, kind of the method of the pitch, like I've never done one, so do you start with a log line? Do you just go into description? I would say, all, me personally, I would prefer that anybody who pitches to me starts with a log line. I actually hate when, when a writer doesn't start with a log line. Because for me... What the logline will do is it will, it will orient me. You know, it's sort of like... The tone. It'll tell you what the tone is, you know. Everything. And, and I'll know what I'm supposed to be looking for. And so as a result, this sort of creates a little bit of suspense. It's, it's like you're giving me a trailer in the logline because that's kind of what a logline is. It's a trailer for your screenplay. That's a great note. Thank you. That's a, no, really, when, you, when you're thinking of what your logline is, you should be thinking it in those terms. That's, that's a great note. And, and so that always helps me, you know, as opposed to sort of the uh, just diving into it. And then I'm sort of waiting, like I'm not sure what it is that I'm supposed to be looking for. So I always prefer a logline. And then at that point, I think it's really sort of a choice. If you're pitching a character study, then you might want to start with the character. Um, and if you're pitching something that's more story-driven, then you might want to do the story. So for me, there's, there's, there's really no right or wrong way. It's just whether the pitch works or not. And if it works, then it was the right way. And if it, and if it uh, doesn't work, then it was the wrong way. Um. I, I, we're going to take pitches from people, and you can also ask questions during the pitches. But before we start, I just want to say to tell one of my favorite pitch stories. And uh, Flannery, I may not want this to go anywhere outside of this room, but it's okay. I mean, I, he'll. By he'll, the way, he'll know I don't want enough. anything that I've said to go outside <laughs> of this room. Just uh, so you understand goes, that. Uh, uh, Flannery. Right here they yeah, go. This is a, exactly this is a, right. I just need everything. Just, snip, snip, snip. I basically just announced to the room, you know, start recording. No, but it's, it's not that big a deal. But what I. Just so you know that you never know how bad your pitch is going. Like, you may think your pitch is going terribly. <laughs> my favorite story. So some of you guys know we're, we're writing uh, the, the reboot of Saw. But when we pitched that, when we did that pitch, Orrin Coolis, who controls the rights to Saw, fell asleep during the pitch. And we walked out of that pitch. And we, never mind selling the movie. We, we, were, so we were literally saying, like, we cannot tell our agents about. Nobody can know that we were pitching and a producer fell asleep. Maybe he was just tired. I, a year later, we got a call from him, and he's like, yeah, I love that idea, blah, 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 blah. And so it just goes to show that you may think your pitch is bombing,
But even if they fall asleep, you have a chance to sell it. It's the right. only time that's ever happened to me. But you it's know the only time that's ever happened to me. That yeah. actually makes the most sense out of anything that I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's, it shows you how to know. This is how to gauge Hollywood. Anyway, that's my, my one pitching story. Okay, let's hear some pitches. Who's got one? Yeah, Danielle. Hey. Okay, so here's my lock line. This, uh, should I stand up? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, now, so. now, 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 look, right? Bubbly, right? Sort of fun. You're engaged, right? As opposed to the typical Hollywood writer, like the Unabomber, like that guy back there. Um, <laughs> you know, where you sort of immediately, you're like, uh... This well, is a nice way wanted, to go. For those of you who know Danielle, I mean, you just summed her up to a T. I'm actually really calm. Oh, is that right? <laughs> okay, so my log line is, a, it's, this story's about a professional dancer who has her career cut down at the height of her career by kidney failure and lupus. So, and lupus, you say? lupus. Okay. Yes. This is a true story. Yeah, I could tell because, because if it weren't a true story, you, you only would have picked one illness. Rather than two illness. That's interesting. Right, that's great. Right. People in movies don't get cancer and AIDS. <laughs> they get either cancer or AIDS. Yeah. That's the difference between real life and the movies. Hilarious. All right. So, um, just a little bit about me, Chris. I was a professional dancer for very many years, um, part of the MTV era. I am dubbed the music video queen, and I was kind of an it girl. Baby, you're an it girl right here, right now. <laughs> Not past tense. No I am loving tense. you. So I have done over 100 music videos. I have done videos with Madonna, with Janet Jackson, with Michael Jackson. Um, the last dance job I did was choreographed Prince. Um, if anyone came to the forum, that was my show. Just saying. Um, and, uh, Her show. So that was basically my last dance job. Um, so that would be, just so you guys know, that would be the preamble. I mean, sometimes people sit down and to sort of set up what they're going to say, that's the preamble. Yeah, now, now, I'm often sleeping through these kinds of things right. because, you know, with all due respect, I often don't really care. But <laughs> because of her great personality and her passion makes all, I'm like just totally entertained because I, because I already got stuff. I already got some feedback on your pitch already. Okay. But this is my first time. I know doing, you're doing fine, but I want to hear more of the story though, okay? okay Go so ahead. I'm just giving you a little. I, I know it, and it's okay. good. It's good. I'm going to give you one little tip because you didn't say TV show, though. Oh, I'm sorry. This is a television <laughs> series. Okay, okay. 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 So, um, that helps, by the way, because <laughs> it helps to know that because then I, you know, I have to Looking think a little totally bit differently. differently. Right. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Okay, so anyway, this um, is about the time when my career was cut off because I had lupus and kidney failure, and I get thrust into the medical world, which I clearly do not belong. So, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> so it's, um, the story is going to be about my journey to find a kidney, and it takes about 10 years to get a kidney. I am in year three right now. With your new kidney? No, oh, you mean you're still looking for a kidney? Still waiting for Anybody have one for her? <laughs> She's waiting. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's just about my journey, and it's kind of the story about how 
I come to terms with this sickness is more than just me getting sick and all the bad things, but it's actually because I bring a lot of hope and light to patients who otherwise wouldn't have had it. So the title of my show is called Beverly Hills Dialysis, and it takes place in a very um, fancy dialysis center, and we have a ballet, and we've got a couple of little, this is a true story, I'm telling. Where is this place? Um, well, it's on Robertson, uh -huh. like third. It's, okay. It's really true. Now, in my story, she's a little bit more fancy, but... Um, more fancy than you? Come on. <laughs> Not me. Oh, oh I see. The, 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 the dialysis area. Got it, got it, got it. But yeah, it's just a journey about me um, waiting for a kidney and how I deal with that, trying to, trying to juggle my glamorous side with reality of the great equalizer, which is medical illness. Okay, and there's obvious stakes involved because there's health and, yeah. you know, having, yeah, it's life and death. Um, you don't have to say the word struggle in that one. I mean, <laughs> it's there. All yeah, the um, uh, you know, I would always, anytime you pitch, always avoid sort of passive words. So um, instead of saying waiting, mm -hmm. you know, think about a word or something that's active. Okay. Uh, you know, just always think of, like, avoid words that are um, um, internal and inactive, like he uh, discovers or learns. Discovers is okay, maybe. Um, nah, I don't really like it. Um, but you know, you don't want words that that verbs that like are going on inside of a person's head. Because remember, drama is about manifesting the inside, right? So, and the idea of waiting, you know, then you think it's like. Like you're waiting. Another, so, another two words that you also don't want to put in the pitch is hang out. You never have people hanging out because right. nobody hangs out in a movie. Right, because, you know, we always want to sort of get the sense that, that the stakes are real uh, and that, you know, stuff is, is dire. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and what's the tone of the piece? You, so this piece, I kind of like to say it's like orange is the new black. Okay, great. Okay, so there's going to be some dancing in it, too? Yes. Oh, okay, so... And it's great because I have done half the work already because these music videos already exist. Uh -huh. So I've placed it in a time where I could just say in the script, oh, gosh, I have to go do this video with so-and-so, and it's already done. Isn't that great? Okay. Uh, it's so convenient? It is. And it's so nice of me. Now, uh, are, you, are, you, are you planning on, uh, on also starring in it? That was a dumb question. <laughs> You don't have, we, don't, we don't have video, so I will just say for the recording, a glare came back. Like, are you out of your mind? Yeah. This is the year of the black woman. Listen, your, your year has been every year. No, it hasn't. Ever. I think ever. No. Well, listen. First of all, I wish you a lot of luck. Thank you. Uh, especially with your health. Thank you. And um, I, I think Orange is the New Black is a, is a great tone for this. Uh, because that's kind of what I was thinking, sort of based on your personality. Because, you know, that show can be very, very serious, but it's also funny. pretty funny. Yeah. Um, it's also very, very hard to pull that tone off. I mean, that show does it. In I, my script, 
I, 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 look, I totally get it. I'm not, I'm not underestimating you. But these are, th you know, if you, look, if you were an ordinary person, like any of these plebes, then I, then I would be concerned. You know, my, my concern would be that that's a very hard balance. Um, but for you, I know you're going to pull it off. Thank you. Right. I would also just say, I always want to, yeah, we're going to go to you in a minute. I just want to say, I was once listening to Al Pacino speak at, inside the actor studio with a bunch of other people, and somebody asked if they could start up and stood up and started crying, saying, I moved in with my boyfriend many years ago, and he had a script, and, and basically asked if Al Pacino would read the script. I'm just going to ask, you can talk to me later, but don't ask Christopher to read your script tonight. Not tonight, but you can at another time. Okay, uh, yes, right here. Uh, so my log line for my story. Oh, hi, I'm Jai. Hi. Hi. Jai? Jai, yes. Jai. How do you spell that? J-A-I. Okay. It's Thai. It means hard. And in Thailand, if you like something, you say Jai, 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 I knew that, by the okay. way. I, I, oh, oh. I may oh, look white, but, I, but I'm very, oh, like, very inside. well educated. Okay. Love it. Um, so my story I didn't have a clue, by the way. <laughs> about... Uh, a young, uh, naive, and relentless Thai princess who abandons her prearranged marriage in pursuit of the American dream, meets and falls in love with a young GI during the end of Vietnam, okay. comes to America, and discovers that he is a spy. The title of my movie is The Princess and the Spy. Okay, so, he dis so she discovers that he's a spy. Have you written the script yet? Yes. Okay, so just... What page in the script does she discover that he's a, a spy? That's a gr I had the exact same question, just so you know. Um, I, I mean, I just wrote Great it. Great minds think alike. I don't know what page it's on, but it's early on. Okay, so early on. Good. Would you yeah. say that it's in the first act? Yes. Okay, so, so now what I need to know is I, I need to understand the movie. Because what you've just told me is the setup. But what I haven't heard yet is the movie. Got it. The movie would be what she does after she discovers that the man that she loves is a spy. Um, and I don't yet understand, like, what kind of spy, but, I, but that doesn't <coughs> matter yet. But, um, so, okay, so she finds out this information, and then what? Because now you've got another 90 pages. Yes. So, so, then what? Because that's your movie. She, he married them anyway. Okay. It's, it's known in Thailand that she ran away. There's a song about it. All right, all right, all right, all right. Comes to America, they get married, he keeps leaving for what's called TDY. All right, stay with her. She gets in a near-fatal car accident and is paralyzed from the neck down for nine months and is in a body cast. Okay, what does this have to do with her discovering that he's a spy? He keeps leaving while she's married to him to go be a spy. All right, that's great, but so what? So what does that have to do? Danger, Where's the danger? Why do we care? We care because she, it's, it's a story about a woman who wants the American dream and her uh, effort to get it and not being able to get it because she wants to get paralyzed and then the guy's a spy. And, like, but what does the spy her? have to do with her getting the American just, dream? I don't know. It doesn't. See, right. now this, is, this is the one where I would ask, what's a compelling scene from the second act? Like, what's, what am I seeing? Like, when I, I, she gets hit by a semi-truck and is put in the But as that relates to our story. You know what I mean? I know that sounds like it, it, it relates to yeah. the story, but as it relates to this problem where he's a spy, mm -hmm. you know? I, he, um, he beats her up and she loses their baby because he has PTSD. Oh, wow. Well, that, is, that definitely is a scene, and that, that tells me a little bit about where the story goes. Yeah. One thing I would say is, uh, to me, what, what, what Christopher said about what, you have another 90 pages to go. Yeah. By the way, I, I don't know wh where, you're, where your Hollywood is these days, but in, if this happens on page one, there's only 90 pages in this script altogether because of where Hollywood is these days. We're, we're, we're at the 90-page script, uh, which I can't stand. But anyway, to me, what's interesting is 
the end of the first act is there's evidence mm -hmm. that he may be a spy, mm -hmm. and the second act is her proving it. Like, that's another version of this, which isn't your version, mm -hmm. but if it isn't that version, I would love to know yeah. more about the journey of the second act. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, that would be like uh, that kind of archetype's been used, let's say, in like Jagged Edge, right, where Glenn Close sort of is an attorney, falls in love with her client who has been accused of, of, of murder. She gets him off the hook, and then she suspects that he might be the killer, and now, you know, she starts to investigate that. We've seen that kind of movie before, and it's kind of the same sort of template, but only now you've dressed it up differently. But what I would say is, is that I think that you've pitched your story wrong. You see, I think, I think you don't know your story. And this was the very, very first thing that I said, was that you have to know your story. Because it doesn't mean there's not a story. It doesn't no, mean your absolutely. script doesn't work. Right. He's, we are good cop, bad cop. <laughs> All right? So, um, he's so much more positive than me. Uh, and, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm not being negative. I, I, you know, this is, this, this is not personal. It's not negative. This is just me, sort of. It's just, it's just my impression. But I don't think that, that you're pitching the story because I don't think that the spy thing is really all that interesting to you. Uh, I think it's sort of um, part of the story, but it's not really the story. And so when you set it up that way, you're like, oh, then now you've created expectations and now I'm looking for you to fulfill those, but they're not fulfilled because that's not really what your story's about. Is it based on a true story? Is that yeah. yeah, okay, well that's interesting. That's a good place to start in your pitch, but, yeah. but I still would say, Oftentimes, based on a true story, it doesn't necessarily guarantee, you know, they still got to have, sometimes based on a true story doesn't mean it's a struggle and a journey with a low point and a third act, like, you know, you yeah, got to make I, that happen. Yeah, you, you know? know something? I got up this morning, very early, I read a script, I had breakfast, I got my car washed. True story. It's a true story. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not going to write a yeah. script about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you always have to, that's... No, I think there is a story in it, but I yeah, just... Absolutely, you know, but yeah, absolutely, but, but you need to really know what it is so you can... Communicate it, and and the thing that I always say is this: this is sort of, it's that you're the writer, so you should know your story. You should be able to tell me your story, right? So if you can't, then my belief is that it's not on the page. It doesn't mean that there's not a story in there somewhere. Like I could read the script and say, yeah, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here, but the writer hasn't found the story yet, hasn't really found a way to tell the story, and. Um, that's what I pick up on a lot. And I should say, by the way, that, you know, I've heard tens of thousands of scripts and I've heard tens of thousands of pitches. And I hear these pitches and I make a judgment in my head. And then I go off and I read the script. And 99.99999% of the time, I'm absolutely dead on right. I'm the Edgar Casey of screenwriting. I can just hear the pitch and diagnose it and know everything about the story. Yeah. And, and, right. and so... It's your job to be able to tell that story. And if you can't tell it, if I'm not hearing it, some writers, well, I'm not really good at pitching. Yeah, bullshit. You know, you, you've, you've written the script and you're telling me the script the way it's represented on the page. Yeah, and the irony here is, you know, we're all trying to come up with something creative. And yet when you pitch, you want the person to be able to see the whole script in their head. They don't want to have to work. They don't have to work hard to figure it out. They I mean, want I to want, see it. I yeah. want to be able to see the movie. Right. I want to feel and, and, and know the movie. And so, you know, you started out. I was like, okay, like, you know, I get the movie. And then to make sure 
that that's your movie, mm -hmm. then I start to ask the questions and it all falls apart and then I know immediately that that's not quite your movie and I'm not sure you've really found the movie yet. Mm -hmm. that, and that isn't a bad thing. Yeah. Sometimes it takes five, six, seven, eight drafts of a script to and really go. find the movie. You start on those six and seven drafts. You're, that means you're only seven more drafts away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's yeah. because it's. I mean, I work with I work with writers all the time. I work with writers that get paid a lot of money, and I'm reading a script. And I'm like, woo, this is you know, like you have not found the story here yet. Interesting, very interesting. Haven't found the story yet. You know, we need to try to crack this somehow, some way. That's that's the process, and it's and it's fine and it's good. And you're amongst friends, and we love you, and <laughs> and you know, we want to and we want to support you. Uh, but if you go out into the real world, into an office with a person that has you scheduled amongst a bunch of other writers, and you pitch that, you know, he's not going to be as, uh, he's going to go, great, thank you, and then it's like, I don't know what the fuck she just said. And that's, and that's what you don't want. Good. So better to screw it up here well, amongst us. Like, right. To screw it up and right. then get mad. Right. And you didn't screw it up. You just, I you just screwed it up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, yeah. But I love you. You're adorable. Hi, Peter. Hi, Christopher. I'm John. Uh, I just want to let you know that uh, this story... I'm By the way, John just got back from Hawaii. Oh, there you go. We just ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I had a great time. He did? And, Two uh, weeks? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 deserve, I deserve this. See, already, already in this pitch, I feel like, who is this asshole that got to go to Hawaii for two weeks in the middle of December? I'm rooting against you. Good no, point. <laughs> good, good point. Right. And, uh, Very good point. Now, the story I'm going to tell you uh, is I've lived it. You know, I've, this has been part of my journey. And uh, it's, it's a story, the protagonist is, it's a young, uh, real idealistic, young, recovering drug addict from the Midwest who's coming out across the, the, the country, and she's got a job at uh, a place called Malibu Rehab. It is the most prestigious rehab in the world. And uh, what she does is she comes in there and she finds out that, you know, uh, that there's a lot more sickness than just drugs and alcohol in these rehabs. And uh, you know, she, what she's really doing there, she's trying to save her own soul while she's trying to save you know, these, these celebrities that are dying of whatever it is, you know, whatever it is their, 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 their game that they're playing. And, um, and it would be a cross between TMZ and for Empire or for... So there's a TV series. It's a one-hour drama. Uh, start with that. Okay, you gotta sorry, st yeah. Everybody, you got to start with that because now i got to, like, recalibrate. But go ahead, okay. okay. So it's a one-hour drama. So, so it would be like Empire, TMZ meets Empire or for those that are a little older... Uh, TMZ meets Dallas or Falcon Crest. Uh, there's a big family dynamic uh, in it. And, um, it but you're dealing, though, with drug abuse, right? Yeah. And Falcon's Crest is sort of like campy. And so I'd be careful, you know, just, just be, I think you mentioned this earlier on, just be very thoughtful about uh, anything that you want to use to sort of um, help people envision what it is. I see here is, you know, it, the ability, we, you know, we just had, oh, Scott Whelan just died two days ago, and so, you know, this is an ongoing thing, and there are, and especially in Hollywood, you know, where we're familiar with, eight out of ten people know somebody that's struggling with this, and, you know, and the celebrity thing comes up constantly. But, love, by the way, love that preamble. 
eight and ten people, like the whole, you know, Scott, we, like the, the currentness of that preamble, I'm not talking about the TV show, you, you pointed out that this is something that's relatable to the country, but anyway, go ahead. But then, you know, I can also say, well, like, can I watch Dr. Drew's Celebrity Rehab, you know, in reruns with, like, Tom Sizemore, like, beating up on Heidi Fleiss? Well, this isn't... This isn't can you beat that? Yeah, I mean, really. This isn't reality TV. This is basically, we have the A story of this girl, you know, really trying to do what's right. You have the B uh, But that's vague, though. But that's vague. And, and, you know, the idea of trying to do what's right, that's vague. In a pitch, you've got to be specific. And okay. pitching is always specificity. It's not like, you know, she wants to save her soul. I don't know what that means. That's poetry. It's not drama. So you have to tell me how, how that's manifested. What is she doing? Behavior, action. What do we see? What's being filmed? And, yeah. uh, and, and um, okay. So you have this young girl struggling. Right, there you go. Done. I'm buying it. I'm buying this. To you know, maintain her own recovery while she's trying to save the lives of the people whose only go-to is to go out there and have people, their agents. Okay, but what does it mean she's trying to save their lives? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Is she a therapist? Is she a doctor? Is she what? So it's so it's still vague. I don't. Okay. I, yeah. and, and I would also just add, and this is not a keep so, drilling so down, drilling at, down, at, drilling down. When you look at house, right? Yeah. The spin of that is he's a genius and he's an asshole. That's, that's kind of the fun of the show. He hates humanity, but he's this brilliant doctor. And that's kind of the hook. Like, and, and you hear that in TV especially, you hear the hook. So it's not just the rehab thing, but it's also she's a spy. Or, <laughs> not, not that. Yeah, you know or, or, or maybe she's still battling her drug addiction secretly while she's helping other people. That's good. Whatever, yeah. you know, but it's, it's that kind of thing, you know, trying to create the conflict and, mm. and, and the drama. Also, to TV today, right now, TV is about the anti-hero. You know, we started with uh, Tony Soprano. We've got all the ladies in Orange is the New Black. Uh, we've got uh, Breaking Bad. I mean, we can go on and on and on and on. It's, not, it's different. It's not like Kojak and, you know, Fantasy Islands, a plane's a plane. It's different now. TV is different. And so maybe making her darker... Uh, well, you have the, the owner of this rehab, and it's a strong female actress, and uh, with, the, with her family, you know, running this thing, her son, who she just stomps on, uh, but, but she's, she is this dark human being that is not about saving lives, she's about making money, and that's it, and this girl... But what does that mean? What does that mean, making money, in this context? She, well, the, the whole, the concept of, they have somebody named, this guy named Rock Bottom, who he goes out there and he he's a cleaner, you know. He goes out there and it's a CSI. They go out there, they get these guys out of re, out of like a hotel when he's caught with a hooker dying. They get him out before the, the, the you know the, the TV station TMZ gets there and they swoop him in there. And then and at some points because that's an interesting character. That character to me yeah, is Rock more Rock interesting is than the other woman. Can he be the protagonist? He's like, <laughs> he's like he's like you know the Rock. Yeah. yeah to me, I, that to me is. Far more compelling than anything that you've pitched, addict. right? Even better. Even better. better. But you told us, you told us specific. War. You know the differences. You told us specifically everything. Your whole description of him was doing. He's yeah. doing oh, something, yeah. right? And specifically, specifically, he goes in and yanks these addicts that are in bad shape yeah. to the well, rehab. There's celebrities 
like this is right. the guy that just won the Super Bowl, right? And he's you know he, they got to get him out of here, you know. I mean, be, and get him into this rehab, and they fly him in on helicopters. Is it? I mean, it's a bit, is it like not Fantasy Island in that it's like guest stars come in and they're like a okay. guest star for the week and then they're out. Yeah. So it's a procedural. It's, it's like a, proceed- it's a procedural. It a procedural. Okay. It absolutely so is. so because the, your examples were not TMZ and what was your other thing you? It would have been Empire, you know, where they. Okay. Well, that but it's not Empire. It's procedural. It yeah. feels like it's more procedural. But anyway, okay. So you, you'll have you'll have these celebrities coming in, mm-hmm. and and then they'll you can actually bring them in later in the series if they re- relapse if they really liked a lot then you can bring them in and have them relapse and kind of go through that again or or you can kill them off mm-hmm. it doesn't kill the story so you have that impact. Right now, them. listen when you're pitching TV and and again this is always like I'm always trying to track whose story is it. And for me, when, when the writer loses the protagonist in his pitch, that's a red flag for me. It's a red flag because it means that, yeah, like, there are a lot of cool ideas here, but they're all going to crystallize around Tony Soprano or Nurse Jackie or uh, Frank Underwood, and, uh, and that's, that's what I'm missing here. Um, now, if it's an ensemble piece... Mm-hmm. Because you, you sort of you did mention Falcon Crest, but still, even Falcon Crest or Dallas, I would not reference those, a show that's thirty years old. Yeah, yeah. I, I would you not. Start right there. But you know, like yeah. even Empire, which I don't watch, um, doesn't that revolve around like one character? And sort of, I mean, is there one character in the middle of it all? Is, no, there's really, God, there's a lot. There's I know, no, no, I know there's a lot of characters, but 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 is there a central? Is there a central character? Maybe I'm there's maybe there's, sure. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But that's right, Danielle. This even kind of follows that where this girl has knows something about the owner, and that 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 they could put her away, could close this off. She found out by by you know because she knew that she her overheard a conversation. But why would she want to close up a rehab that that's helping she, people? She wants to save people. But this other woman, she keeps. Oh, this is another woman. That, yeah, that the the, okay. the, the 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 owner is doing really shady stuff, and so she would just fire this girl and get her out of here. But she can't fire her because she knows this. This girl's staying here and battling this woman because she wants to really save lives. She, you know, she's okay. Uh, she's almost done. I have to say, this is so now uh, we're sort of heading off into pitch land. I want to sort of keep this in in a, in a log line form, and it's okay. I mean, but but see how many words it's taking to get the story across. So I want to say to all of you, when you pitch these things, try to keep your, your keep it down to a log line. We're not going to hold you to a sentence, but try to keep it just a little bit truncated. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it needs more specific more specifics in the work. But all of you who are pitching, who are going to say something, try to uh, you know keep it short, and you try to let them get it all out so that then we. Can, I know it's hard because yeah, I can never do that. I know, neither can I because you're, you're because yeah, that's just not going to happen. No, because what happens? It's just you not going to happen. No, I know. You, you get hung up on what you don't know, and then you can't focus. So anyway, okay, um, who's got one? Let me just say one other thing too. It, 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 you know, when when you're pitching sort of autobiographical stuff, you have to be writing an autobiographical drama is very very difficult. Uh, because you want to stick to what really happened. It's the hardest thing, and people won't let go. Because it's not dramatic, and they don't know how to sort of, okay, like, you know, in real life, I was married five times, um, and, but, you know, like in the drama, you, maybe you only want to have one wife. That's not the way it was. I have to have five wives. Yeah, but, you know, we want to cast Charlize Theron, and we can't cast her if she's only in it for four pages. Well, that's not my story. When, when people come into class and say, this is based on a true story, I'm scared shitless. It's, I'm like, oh, my God. If it's not my, gonna, especially if it's my own story, and yeah. it's worse if it's, you know, 
the Antoine Fisher say. story. Yeah, yeah, right. The Antoine Fisher story, which Denzel directed. This this was autobiograph. It was an autobiographical screenplay by Antoine Fisher. It was terrible. <laughs> they had to bring in another writer to rewrite Antoine Fisher's own life story because what he wrote wasn't. He couldn't see beyond. It wasn't. It wasn't dramatic. Yes, the his life was very fascinating, but it wasn't quite a screenplay. So they brought in David Murray, and he did. He did the uncredited rewrite. Um, okay, I want to. Yeah, don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna get to a lot of people, but try and keep it short. And I just want everyone to get a chance. Go ahead, Ollie. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Hi, I'm Holiday. Uh, Holiday. Yes. Really? Yes. That's so sort of. Cute right now and everything, you know. <laughs> so when good time, good time to be named. So off. when people say happy holiday, like it's, all for three months of the year. Yeah. Matching goes like a Chris sale and it's nice. a, a Chris party. You know. <laughs> anyway, holiday. Um, so my movie is called Bad Princess. Okay, I it's a good title. A visual aid. It's a picture of a princess in bed with a strange man. Yeah. Is that you? By Can I have a copy of this? No, no. Wow, that's me and Holiday. Wow, okay, that's weird. Okay. Uh, so my log line, Cindy's a smoker, a stripper, and a thief, but for her next big heist, she's going to go undercover as a theme park princess. She's just got to keep from getting caught, getting fired, or drinking the Kool-Aid. Okay, it's not a log line, but, like, I get the movie. Uh, it isn't a log line because, you know, that... It sounds like more like you're trying to do like an ad campaign, you know? Uh, like it's what we would hear in the trailer or something. Uh, and, uh, but uh, she, she poses as a princess at a theme park to rip the theme park off. She's stealing. She, she steal, okay, so what is she stealing? Okay, see, this, this is your movie, okay. not all this other bullshit that this, okay. la, 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 because that doesn't, that, that doesn't, because I can't really see the movie. So it's, who is the character, what does she want, and what's in her way? So she wants to steal this crown. Is it actually worth something? Is it, is it like a valuable crown? Yes. Okay. And, and where is the crown? So it's like super protected at, right. at Whimsy World. Okay, good. But uh, once a day, they do this show where they crown the princess who got the most votes. Great. Excellent. And so, that's, and so that's when it's most vulnerable. So it's a heist movie. And all right, so it's, it's fine. And then if it's a heist movie, then I'm going to expect that it's going to have those certain sort of heist elements to it uh, because they're sort of structured in a very certain way. That doesn't mean that, you know, you can't structure it differently, but then it may not be a heist movie per se. Uh, but uh, all right, so when does she go undercover as the princess? Like, like, like what page? Uh, 20. 20, okay. Act two. Should be at the end of the first act, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and then what's going on through the second act? Well, so she's got to win the little contest okay. to get the crown on her head. Okay. So she's got dealing with actual heist stuff of the buyer. Okay, so it's a little bit like Miss Congeniality. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, and these two goons she works with are making the fake crown. For so the switch that, out. But also she's got to get good enough win the votes. So first she's trying to con her way. Okay, and is she win. not very princessy? Right. Okay, so she's more like Melissa McCarthy and she's got a <laughs> and she's she's not like you, cute. She's like Melissa McCarthy who's cute, but she's not necessarily like princessy. Well, 
right? She's more like, you know what I mean? She's more like the evil stepsister, right? I mean, because that's what you would want, yes? Yeah, but like dirtier. Like her problem is that she's not like cute. What, like she doesn't wash? Well, I just, well, she said she was dirty. I, there's not, there's not, listen, there's nothing dirty about stripping, okay? We're in the San Fernando Valley. It's a way of life. Um, way of life. But, uh, oh, okay, like, like I get it. I think it's cute. I like it. Great. So, like, I can continue to, like, chisel away at it and find stuff that probably, like, doesn't work. But sometimes it's better to sort of quit while you're ahead. When the person says, oh, yeah, I like it, shut up. No more like, oh, let me tell you about what happens at the end. Right. Because, then, because then you tell me, then I'm like, oh, no, now I hate it. Right. Well, you know what the thing is? Like, based on your pitch, if I'm a studio head, I'm thinking, are we buying something like that? And if we are, I'd like to read it. If not, you know, it, 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 it's contingent on what we're looking for, but I, I think that's great. Right. Who do you see in that role other than yourself? Okay. Um, someone like a Kristen Stewart who talks faster. Okay, Kristen Stewart's interesting because she's cute. She's not necessarily feminine. She's not necessarily princessy. Okay, very good. Like, like I totally get it. Good. good. All right. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Next. Uh, yeah. Right here. All right. Hi, I'm Ben. Ben. Thank you, Ben. It belonged to my dad who just died. I oh. I stole it out of his closet. <laughs> now how do you feel, Ben? Now how do you feel? <laughs> That'd be the greatest opening to a pitch ever. I got it from my dad. He's dead. Okay. Sorry. That's not. Now I'm making jokes about this tragedy. Okay. I'm leaving. Yeah. You're really good. Right, uh, my dad would love it. Actually. Uh, my story is Godfather issues about a teenage orphan girl, so not really autobiographical. Uh, she. Uh, she Start with a joke. Good. Uh, she discovers her long lost dad, who wants custody, is a mobster in L.A. So she comes out to L.A. and can't figure out what he wants. And then as she did... Are there actually mobsters in L.A.? Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. We had a, we had a quadruple murder right here in the, in the valley on Riverside. Did you know about that? I missed it. It was about a... Was a couple, <laughs> I missed it? A couple years ago, it was, a bunch of, it was an Armenian hit. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was about four years ago, anyway. Yeah. But when he says... <laughs> right here but when he coffee, says, happened, But no. when he says Godfather, I'm thinking Italian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think Italian mob when you say Godfather. And I don't think there's all that much of the Italian mob out here. I, I think they were driven out, actually. Yeah. Anyway. So as she digs to figure out what he wants, she realizes uh, she has a piece of evidence that can put him, put him away from her life. Okay, okay, so let me get this straight. She comes out to L.A. To live with him. To live with him. And why does she want to send him away? Oh, she doesn't. She, oh. she discovers, she's trying to figure out why does he want her. So, so he has summoned her. Right. All right, and it's because she has this piece of information. Yes. All right, so the, the, the issue that I have with this pitch is that you started it out making it sound like it's her movie, but so far he's the one who's active because he's the one who's calling her out. He's the one that needs to get something from her, so it's his movie right now. But... But it's not his movie, because that's not the way you originally positioned it. You positioned it as her movie, but then you really didn't tell me what she did or what, what, what she's doing in the movie. He's active. Now, so she comes out here, and how is she active? Or is she not active? And, 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 and by the way, the, you know, these, these kinds of movies can work. Um, they're not 
unusual where, you know, you have that kind of kingpin character, and then you have another, like I just saw Escobar with Benicio Del Toro. I think that's what it was. That isn't what it was called, but it was him and Josh Hutcherson. Hutchinson, the kid from those uh, Hunger, Hunger Games. Games, thank you. And, uh, you know, he marries like the niece of Pablo Escobar, and he's brought into the fold. And um, Pablo's calling all the shots, but this kid eventually realizes sort of what he's into and, you know, what the, what the family business is. And, you know, pupil. You know, one thing I would say, right. one thing I would say is, uh, one of the things I always teach is be your own expert. So these movies that we're recommending, if you haven't seen them, I would really look at them to see how that format works because it will really help you lay out your movie. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. So what is she doing then? Uh, she is investigating, meeting people, uh, meeting people close to him, trying to get close to him, trying to ask the right questions, figure out what is he after. Uh, yeah, that's vague. So to me, that, that, that's, 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 that's not strong. It's vague. I don't really know what that means. Why does she, like, what does it matter? Like, then just don't move out there. You yeah, know, like, to I, me, the, the, the sort of more, the, the version of this that I like is, an, a girl is excited to move out to live with her grandfather or whatever it is, finds some very unusual things about him and starts to, you know, poke around at some of his uh, acquaintances and, and his lifestyle only to discover that he's deep into crime. I, I fizzled right. at the end, but you see what I'm going for. Which right. is, she's that's, on a journey. You know? That's the spin that then makes it her movie rather than his movie. And this is, you know, another thing I say, and this goes back to you a little bit. A lot of times when, I, when people pitch to me or when I, we're doing outlines, people give me an emotional journey, which is great. And then I say, what's the active journey? So right. you've told me how everybody's feeling. You know, she's searching for her soul, but what's the active, what am I seeing? What's the right. active journey that lines up with this so, you know, this uh, right. emotional journey. Great. Okay, good. By the way, it's, it's a drama? Yeah, it's a coming, coming of age drama. Okay. Comedic, um, comedic elements. With comedic elements, all right. Uh, throw out your genre up front also. Like if it's, as we said, knowing whether it's TV or feature is important, it's also really important to know what the genre is. Because then I have to recalculate also. Mm-hmm. You know, because I might think, like, this to me sounded like it was a thriller. Mm-hmm. And now he says it's yeah, like yeah, me too. a coming-of-age drama with, with comedy. I'm like, well, what? <laughs> good. Okay, good. We're going to go right, right, we're gonna go right through here, and then we'll come back over here. Brady. All right. Uh, first off, uh, have you seen the movie Airbud, or did you work on Airbud? Just- <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you put that together? <laughs> Thankfully, no. But... but <laughs> I, I actually have seen it with, with, with my kid. Okay. So, yeah. All right, good. Because uh, all those movies with like. I actually fell asleep through it, but, but that, whatever. <laughs> no, no, he's not headed there, so you're you all right. The, you get the general idea. Yes. Mad Whammo. Uh, this is a satire comedy feature about a. Satires are really tough, by the way. Very, very, very tough sells. Mm-hmm. So avoid saying a satire. Say something like it's a smart comedy. It's a smart comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's about a. Uh, Football team, high school football team in Texas that's so desperate to win, they're willing to put a bear in as linebacker. That, all right, that's funny. That's funny. All right, I mean, yeah, it's funny. Right. So you quit while you're ahead. Now, now he, now I don't know what the movie is yet because basically all he gave me was the concept. He gave me the concept um, because it's not a movie. It's a movie when I know who the protagonist is and what the protagonist is trying to achieve. 
So is the protagonist the quarterback who, who, who befriends the bear? Is it the coach? Or maybe it's the bear. I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, honestly, don't tell me. Because, because that's, I mean, you know, look, it's a ridiculous fucking pitch, right? But no, it's even it's more. I have to tell you, it's more. I have to tell you this. It's more ridiculous than you even know because I know this picture. The thing I love about it is that this. It's an. It's a bear that is like just does what bears do. Like he eats. Be, like it's a. It's just a bear. There's no. The bear right, never got, connects like, on no any level. Right, yeah. He doesn't connect to anybody. They treat him like he's Airbud, but he's just a fucking bear. It's right. So right, funny. Good. But anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right, right. All right, interesting. All right. Going around, Steph. Yeah. Okay, but a lot of rehab. Look, yeah. Where yeah. do you find your students? <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Yeah. It's romance rehab, though. Okay, so after her husband's betrayal leaves her unhinged, a suburban mom who's just struggling to regain her footing embarks on this healing wilderness adventure, only to find out that part of the healing involves a male guide whose duties exceed the boundaries of traditional social norms. Okay, uh, so she bangs him. <laughs> they are all banging. Yeah, yeah. everybody's banging. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm almost okay. I'm, I'm kind of redoing this a little bit, the third act, because everybody. The feedback that I've gotten is like the women are so interesting, the crazy women on this event. And you just make the men one-dimensional and flat. Exactly. <laughs> How dare you! <laughs> Is that the way men write women? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. As yes. if a man would ever. Yeah, everybody is screwing, but she's not there. She she's, didn't come with that in mind, but she ends up falling in love with the guy. And this is his first Okay, so, like, what's the second act? What's, what's the story? To me, that's the setup. Okay. It's, not, it's not quite as unique or high concept as his right. or hers. Right. Um, so, all right, so she's there. Right. Uh, you use the word embark, which is a good word. I like the word embarks. Um, she's but, struggling. Yeah, she's struggling. <laughs> I heard that too. Very nice, very nice. Uh, but I'm not sure what your second act is yet. Okay, so uh, the second act is she arrives at this... I know you don't need to tell me like... Oh. All right, so it's like, okay, the second act of Jaws, he sets out to kill the shark. Look how easy that was. It's very simple. You should be eight, just it should be like that easy. But when but when you can't distill it, and I could tell that you wouldn't be able to, which is why I asked you. Um, when you when you can't distill it, then to me it's problematic. So it sounds like it could it could be funny. You could have great beats in it, but just based on this, it sounds like it's all over the place. So I'm trying to figure out what you home in on. Sort of what she's doing. He used the word. Well, you would you, you use the word action. What's the, the active journey? Yeah. They, what's the what's the active journey? Because you've you've laid out sort of the Emotional. psychological side of the story. Now, what's the physical side? Well, the physical side. Other than the bopping. Yeah. <laughs> it's a kayaking trip. Okay. So there's a lot of clashing with the guy. They don't get along. Sort of. Okay. Like all right. All right. Yeah. You're. Right yeah. Okay. So you can feel it now, right? You can feel. Okay. All right. That's exactly right. Yes, not a little bit. No, 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 no. Yeah, you can't yeah, just let her have a little bit. You have no. to. You have to insist that it's more a little bit. No, no, no. no. You know why? Because I'm not. I'm doing you a disservice by sending. By saying, that's a great idea. Go out there, share it with the world. Great disservice. 
by the way, it's it's only my opinion. Right. I'm very rarely wrong, mind you, but it's but it's 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 only my opinion. It's just one opinion from a man who's never just, wrong. Right. I've had problems with a log line. Yeah. I, I got some attention for the script, but I've had problems with a log line all along. But I think what you're. But you have problems because you don't have a second act. You don't have a second act. You you have a lot of stuff going on in the second act, and and it might be fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is, my big, this is my biggest fear: is a student staring at me and going, "I don't have a second act." I'm like, uh, uh, the, the, the second act, by the way, I don't know if this helps, and you can jump on me too. Yeah, it's a little bit like Stella gets her groove back. In other words, okay. she's cold, she's shut off, and through the activities she experiences on the river, she learns to find love again. Now, okay, I, I'm not saying that. Where I'm just telling you, you can shit all over me too, and it's okay. All right, so so you know that. <laughs> then then you know you could say that it's a character. You know that it's a character-driven comedy, because it doesn't. Because that to me is not story-driven. It's more character-driven, which is fine. Right. It better only be about ninety pages, because you know I'm not going to be able to handle that. You know, <laughs> like more than that. Sure. Um, the problem with this kind of stuff for me sometimes is that there's no tension in it. There's no tension. You know, it's like so. So there's got to be enough tension to get me to turn the pages, because it, it's like you know, you can like. You can do three scenes of, you know, like the romance rehab, whatever that means, like, well, they, they kayak, and when they, they do this. Like a right. Yeah. Well, she gets right. paired up with Seth Rogen. Everybody else gets, like, Ryan Gosling, and she gets okay. Seth Rogen. And right, then, that's good. That's fine. And then in the end, it turns out that's really who right. she did need to get. Okay, that's know? cute. That's yeah. cute. So uh, I like the beginning. I like the end. Uh, the, middle, the middle, the middle feels, <laughs> it feels mushy to me. It's, I think in one of those questions that you wrote to me, you said like, um, like execution driven. Oh yeah, my, my agent, whenever I don't have anything, right. like whenever I pitch something to him that he, he doesn't know what to say, he always says, well, it's, that's, it, what do you think of this idea? He goes, well, it's execution based. Right. And, this, and, is a, and yeah. this, is, this is execution yeah, based. Yeah, yeah. This is execution based. I do agree, but I do feel like there's something that I've had a problem as far as what were those three questions, who's the character, what do they want, and what, I do feel like I've had a little bit of a problem with her being Yes, I completely agree. Right, because right, because remember, we need the scope. We need the arc. So it's like, yeah, she's active. She's well, she she kayaks, and that's active. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, that she needs to achieve something in the story. You know, what is it that she's actively trying to do? Even if it is that, you know, she that that she that she's gonna leave this place you know, engaged to be married. You know, I am going to find a man and I'm going to marry him. That's my goal. Right. And so then that, and then she gets stuck with Seth and then like, uh-oh. Right. So, but, so but at least that's a goal. She doesn't go knowing because we couldn't have her go knowing to a whorehouse on kayaks, right? We couldn't have our lead character going to this place. So, so some of it is the shock. This isn't like, um, what was that bad movie with Rosie O'Donnell? Remember that? Um, <laughs> no, no. You, you know what I'm talking about? You know that? Yeah. I know that. Hey, do you know Julie? You are? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shh. Shh. I'll tell you, buddy. <laughs> Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Julie. No. Okay. Okay. All right. So it isn't anything like that movie. Okay. Because, you know. You know, you know that, okay. Good. What right. I like that came out of this right. is he only agreed with you when you agreed with him. You yeah, said, of I agree. And then, you, and then you said, oh, I agree. It's like, that's perfect. Okay, great. I do agree. Yeah, yeah. Really? 
Oh yeah. Yeah, that's his. That's his. Show. Here because people are fucking stealing my ideas. Yeah. <laughs> they won't. All right, Flannery. <laughs> What's your name? Stephanie. Stephanie. Uh, yeah. Thanks, um, Stephanie. Flannery. I know, I remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it's the Wild West. Oh, sorry. First, it's a pilot. Okay. It's a, it's a dramatic pilot. Um, it's the Wild West, and uh, a woman on the outside lives. She's a, she's a landowner, and she's in, like the matriarch of her family. She takes care of her, her sisters. Um, she, the town proves very, very dangerous for her because of a gold tycoon who wants to take over her land and feel self-connected to take the outskirts of town. Um, it's the female Deadwood. It's Winter's Bone meets the female Deadwood. It's, it's Oscars. Okay, and... and, and can you just maybe give me like a thumbnail sketch of your protagonist? Yeah, um, she's she's not beautiful, but she's very very soul to beer sort of focused, and she's very practical. Like she doesn't really get her emotions involved a lot of the time because she's 22, but she's had to deal with she's had to take care of her sister since her father was in a coma. So it's very much she's she okay. has all the responsibility on her back. All right, you know one thing that we sort of always look at when. There's a pilot, which, you know, unless it's going to be like True Detective, where it's only going to be eight to ten episodes, is can this idea and this character more so, because TV is much more about characters than, 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 than concepts, can it sustain itself over a course of, you know, four or five years? 200 episodes. And, uh, and so that's something that... That, that pitch needs to be able to convince somebody. Well, or that the, pilot the, needs to be able to convince somebody. The other thing I would have included in your pitch, because I know the story, is that in the pilot, they want the land because a railroad's coming through the town. And they want it to come through that town. And it pits off this woman who's sort of respected by the town, by the guy who monetarily owns the town. And yeah. you see, oh, and, and it's a triangle with her and the woman who runs the whorehouse for the power of the, of the yeah. circle. And you have team, people siding with, taking different sides depending on what the problem is. I mean... You know, to a certain extent, that's where the drama comes from for me. Okay, and, and, and again, I'll ask, even though I know your answer, can it sustain five years? Can that triangle and conflict sustain five years? So. When Deadwood couldn't. <laughs> no, Deadwood yeah, couldn't. Yeah. No, Deadwood didn't go off the air because it couldn't sustain. They couldn't sign the contracts. That's why that went off the air. But anyway, yeah. um, good. Thanks, Flannery. Okay, coming around, uh, we'll go to Sarah, and then we'll go to you, and then we'll go back there. Yeah, Sarah. Come in, Sarah. Uh, this is a... Are you from the East Coast? I am. If two words, you got that? Well, because you said Sarah. <laughs> and that is my ex-wife's name, and everybody, because I'm from New York, everybody would say, hey, how's Sarah? So, there you go. I'll sit down now. That, that, yeah, yeah. Thank you. All done. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Oh, you remind me of my ex-wife. No, 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 no. She definitely doesn't remind me of my ex-wife. Um, it's a half-hour comedy called Not My Type. And everyone knows the story in the world of vampires, but this is about Stanley and for being a vamp and for him being a vampire sucks because he's got a really rare blood type. So he's undernourished and weak and has none of the powers that any of the other vampires have until he finds a girl who has the same blood type. But he does the one thing that'll get in his way, he falls in love with her. But to her, he's repulsive and disgusting, so he can't get close to her. Yeah, I know all about that. But um, what is the, I'm confused, what is the rare blood type? Because maybe I don't know anything about vampires. What does the rare blood type have to do with anything? So that is, in our world, the, um, 
vampires get their strength from feeding on specific blood types. Okay, all And right. there's a real blood type called Rh null blood, and one in 10,000 people have it, and he died with that blood type, so he can only feed on it. I see, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and, uh, you know, I think, like, uh, look, I get the show. I think my only thing I would say is that vampires can be a little tired now, um, but, you know, you sort of have come up with a different approach, which I think, you know, would be the saving grace. One other thing I like about the pitch that I, when I heard it is it, the, group of, the group is a group of dipshit vampires, right? Like, they're all, they're the loser, like, because you never see that. It's right. all the dipshit vampires, sure. you know, and he wants to, he's like the king of the dipshits. He's, right. You know, so could, it's maybe a little bit like, uh, what's that show with the, with like the egghead guys on Channel 2? Big Bang. Right, so yeah. it's like Big Bang, but they're vampires, kind right. of. Right? Yeah. You know, aren't they sort of like yeah. misfits? Yeah. Coming over here. Yeah. All right. My name is Bob. Bob. It's a feature that I wrote. It's called The Tragedy in Leaving. And after witnessing the suicide of his father, Jason vows to get revenge on the people who are behind it through a calculated catch-me-if-you-can game. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Can you just... just very quickly, See, I would say, I, I just I would say that pitch has me leaning forward. It doesn't mean I love it. It means I'm still with you. I'm like I'm interested yeah. in hearing more. So yeah. go. <laughs> which is why I want to ask this question. Which yeah. is, uh, typically people are not behind somebody's suicide, right. right? So what does that mean here? What it means is, why did his father commit suicide? He's after the people who he thinks are behind his suicide. So what does that mean that they like? Uh, killed him and made it look like a suicide, that they bullied him in, into killing himself. What does it mean? Him. They bullied him. There was a lot of pressure, and the dad's name is Hank, and he just got in a lot of money troubles. He was an alcoholic, so he got involved with the wrong people, and his, Hank's brother was into selling drugs, oxycodone, and he pulled Hank in on it because Hank was having money troubles, and there was a drug deal that went really wrong, and then the guys came after Hank, so, so I'm going to sum that up for you. A yeah. bunch of people took advantage of, their fa of his father in a weakened state, and he wants to get to the bottom. That's just a shorter way of saying it. I'm not saying it worked. I'm saying that's a shorter way to pitch what you just said. But anyway. All right, and, and a very good way, actually. And, and so then he, did you use the word revenge, or did I make that up? Yeah. Uh, so, and what, and like, what does the revenge look like? Because, you know, you have to always keep in mind the moral math in a script. So, um... You know, ultimately, this guy killed himself. Ultimately, he killed himself. You know, we could always say that people kill themselves because there's a lot of shit going on in the world. But ultimately, he killed himself. And so if this guy's going to go out to seek revenge on these people, we have to, if that's the, the crux of your movie, we have to really believe that this is a noble pursuit, like Liam Neeson trying to find his daughter. That's in Taken. That's a noble pursuit. Mm -hmm. if, this, if this is an ignoble pursuit, then we're not going to be with the character. Mm -hmm. So I think right now, I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not convinced that, just based on what you said, that I would be rooting for this guy to go out and exact revenge on this guy's boss or you know, the gardener who you know, didn't trim the bushes the right way. Um, you know, so, I mean, th that's going to be about the setup, but are we actually going to see this? Are we going to see this stuff? Are we going to see Hank being mistreated by people? Right. Are yeah. we? Yeah. 
Because this is the because because this is his son's story, right? Yeah, because the first the first part is basically why did he do it? The second right. part is Jason hunting. But Jason's people. not in the first part, is he? It's kind of it's kind of like little bits put all around and then pieced together. Okay, mm -hmm. that sounds like you know that could be very tricky kind of structure, and if you and and if you're not really good at structure, that could be disastrous. Um, but I mean. I think it's very interesting. I, I just—it's very interesting. I'm just—I'm—I'm I'm just not convinced yet, dramatically and emotionally, that an audience is going to be rooting for this guy. Just based on what I hear, that's all. I see a good—I do see a good scene in this somewhere, like towards the end, where the person he's pursuing says to him, "I—I I didn't pull the trigger. I'm not the—you know—I don't know what you think I did, but your dad killed him." Like where. He does have to come to terms with that eventually. That could be interesting to me, but I I, yes. I agree with that. I think that you know that 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 might really be sort of what the story is about. So when you Coming say in terms of his dad's suicide, right? Yeah, like yeah, you know, and that goes through with the other main character, who was his dad's psychiatrist. There's no such thing as the other main character. Yeah, that's right. That's true. That's There's very a, true. There is no other main character. Right. There's Unless, a main character, and he's a main right. character. He's the main. He's the main character. You can't say there's another main character. <laughs> so unless it's you know I and look you know even if it's like even if it's like forty eight hours you know where you've got I'm dating myself but it's such a good movie you've got Eddie Murphy and you've got Nick Nolte it's Nick Nolte's story you know it's really it's really about Nick Nolte or you've got mm -hmm. you've got Rush Hour with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker it's really Jackie Chan's story but it's a two hander that's what we call it because you know each has an amazing part. Training Day, Denzel and Ethan Hawke. Whose story is it? Ethan Hawke's. Ethan Hawke's story. So, um, but it's a two-hander. So, yeah, so always be careful because then I hear that other man, I hear that a lot. It's always red flag. <laughs> so, um, and also, too, it doesn't sound like you need another main character when this guy has such an amazing thing going. So if he has a therapist, well, like Timothy Hutton, had a therapist in Ordinary People, but they, he wasn't any character. So, uh, at any rate, you know, I'm sort of good. Let's talking keep moving. Without I want to go. We're going to go to Michael. We're going to go to Andy. It sounds like it could be. Go ahead, Michael. Hi. So, uh, in a feature comedy called Mobile Home, Alabama, um, it is. Um, Mobile Home is uh, all right. Is is a play on words, or is that just the way you're saying it? Uh, it's play on. It's okay. play on Mobile, Mobile Alabama. Okay. Mobile. Okay. Uh, so uh, Cricket is a single mother of two that has her uh, mobile home repossessed by a corrupt uh, mobile home company, and her lovesick trucker ex-boyfriend uh, steals the mobile home back to try to win her heart again. So uh, it's his story. Yes. Okay. And uh, let me just say then, if it's if it's his story, who. Always lead your logline, always lead your pitch with your protagonist. Always. And by the way, one other thing he talks about, which I do like, is he said, he said cricket, in your logline, no names, because it, it should okay. be, it, it's not dependent on the names. But anyway, go ahead. Got it. Um, and uh, so now Ray, the truck driver, uh, takes the family house and all on a wild ride across the American heartland because there is a renowned repo man chasing them down. Okay, fine. Now, how could you repitch that in a clearer, more dramatic way. Start with Ray. It's Ray's story, so start with Ray. So something along the lines of uh, uh, a long-haul trucker 
uh, is left at the altar by his pregnant girlfriend and tries to win her heart back by stealing her repossessed mobile home back and taking the family out of So much better. Much better. So much better. Much better. I mean, really. See how that works? Yeah. Yeah, yeah good job. That's fair. All right, good. good. Yeah. Thank you. Good stuff. Uh, Andy? Cool. Uh, so this is a comedy feature. It's a holiday feature. Holiday feature. Holiday. It's not about Holiday. Santa Claus yeah, losing the Christmas spirit, right? <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah. So this is called uh, Merry Christmaca. Okay. A newly engaged couple um, struggles with having their two families meet for the first time during a snowed-in Christmaca. Okay. So it's uh, and that's a concept. It's it isn't yet a movie. Um, so we've got. Are we assuming that they're two different religions? Yeah. Right, okay. And uh, all right, so then what happens? Then hilarity ensues? Hilarity ensues. Okay. And they end up breaking up. Okay. Because the families didn't want them together in the first place. Right. But the families realize that they're, you know. I don't think they end up breaking up. I think they break up, but I don't right. think they oh, end well, up breaking up. Okay. I understood what he meant, yeah, no, by the way. I know, I know. So it's a little bit like Meet the Fockers in, the in some way? Okay, that's not different enough for me. Believe it or not, like I, I there is there is some difference there, but I, that's not different enough. My worry about it is too Jewish. I'm worried about I get half of it. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jews are cool. We're hip. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I, look. I'm so glad I'm not Jewish. Great. Hanukkah is the worst holiday. Oh come on! I, right, it's the worst. Holiday. Let's discuss that. Sorry. Okay. Uh, I, I would the, say the worst holiday. One thing I would Who say. Who wants is, a holiday for eight days? Uh, what a stupid idea. Okay. So here's what I. Reining it back in. Uh, one thing I want to say is I like the. Uh, that's a, that's a. It's a premise. There still needs to be right. a story. Right. That's what I would yeah. say. It's, but concept, it's a good premise. Yet without a story, and it's amusing. You know, we. I think we can all kind of get it, but we just don't know the story yet. So work well, on the, that. And the other thing I would say is, you know, kind of interestingly, the second uh, Meet the Fockers, which was Meet the Parents. Yeah. That kind of is that a little bit. It's Barbara Streisand yeah, that's and, and the Dustin Fockers. Hoffman, that's, who that's, are the Jews. So I'm saying, I you got to stick. Oh, oh, right, you did. All right, no. I wasn't paying attention. I've, I've stopped listening. No, I don't blame you. In the long I would I mean, I need to say what happens in the second No, you need to come up with your story, which you don't. Because, you know, I, I think, like, you want to see it as sort of being like a slice of life kind of thing. Sort of like her second act. And there isn't anything wrong with that. Yeah. Um, Hilarity will ensue. It right, is true. but you know it doesn't. Oh, it it isn't always pitchable. Uh, you can end up like rambling with that and sort of just going on set piece after set piece. But yet we don't understand the real connective tissue because look, you can only milk the idea that the two families don't get along for maybe ten pages. You know. Right. Yeah, but, no, but by the way, like if I'm when I'm coming. I, I knew that. You know something I said? Something? It's funny to say that because I want to say, good start. It good is a good start. start. It's just not there. You know, it's not there. Yeah. Cool. Mara. Um, hi, my name is Mara. Um, it's a dramatic feature. Sorry, sorry. Dramatic feature. Dramatic feature. This is such a thing as sexual dramatic feature. There is, if that's what you want, baby. It is now. <laughs> now there is. Um, it's called Pen Pals, and it's about a character named Miss uh, Pen, Pen, short for Penelope, and her pals. And she wakes up after she's never had meaningless sex, so she feels like she's, by her pursuit of getting everything right, she's missed out on life. So she's 
playing catch up and she's doing that. She's navigating through um, love, lust, and friendship through her friends, actually, through her circle of pals. So it's kind of an ensemble cast, but it's so based around her, circle around her. So I'm not quite sure how to. Yeah, so, uh, so, sh so she's watching other people get laid? Well, no. <laughs> she kind of starts it. She starts it and brings it out in the open, and then we follow the rest of the dysfunctional group and their... Um, and their meaningless sex? Not mean, because, like, where's the conflict, right? It's but like, you know, if, if everybody's getting laid, no conflict. Right. Well, right? <laughs> right? Not for me. Sounds great to me. Yes and no, but the idea is always better than what I'm missing out on all this action. I, you know. The idea is always better than what you than what you get in the end. So the, the conflict is that she's she's jeopardizing her friendships, she's jeopardizing her family ties, and love and happiness and all of that. But we are following, so she's affecting three people, and then those people affect two other people. So it's kind of okay. like sex life videotapes meets. Um, Okay, yeah. All right, yeah. This is, this is, you want to use the term? This is uh, execution, what was it Execution again? based. Yeah, execution based. I would also say uh, emotional journey intact. Right. Active journey less so. So I want to know a little bit more about that yeah. active journey in terms it's of vague what right I'm now. seeing. Yeah, you it's know? vague. Well, oh, so the, would the active journey be that they all have like slightly sexual, um, I don't want to say deviances because that's wrong, I don't want to judge, but like they, they have different things crazy things. Do you ever see Searching for Mr. Goodbar? No. Looking for Mr. Looking Goodbar. Looking for Mr. Goodbar, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> in, in, in the new millennium, it's Searching. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, you should see Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Great movie and somewhat similar. I mean, you could... It, Although it doesn't end happily. Yeah, it doesn't end very happily. But neither would Marams. Marams wouldn't end happily. Never. Never, never. right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, listen, you'll have a great time doing research for this. <laughs> nothing else, yeah. Nothing else. Um, I think it's good. I think more active story. That's what I would say. More active okay. story. Yeah. And and how would I, if, if I may, how would I, because it is an ensemble cast. Mm -hmm. How do I pitch this? How do I put this in the log line? I, you know, is it a dysfunctional group of people? I want to know specifically what she did. So the end of the first act is, I'm 39 years old and I've never had meaningful sex. That's the end of your first act. Meaning, meaning, mean, what is it? Meaning. Meaningless. Meaningless. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's the male version. I've never had meaningful sex. Okay, so the second act. Awesome. So, so awesome. then what is, what is the second act? How does the second act play out off of that new world for her? She, her new world is I'm going into the world of uh, meaningless sex, which is right. interesting and compelling. Right. And, and see, looking for Mr. Goodbar, because that's a little bit what happens uh, Absolutely. for her. And, and then what, where does that lead us? You know, where does that, the new her, how does she acclimate to her new world? How does she act on it? What are the things that happen that don't go well at the beginning of the second act that sort of finds its feet going into the second act and then goes up a little bit and then goes down? You know, like, how does that, what is that active journey? So is it about her? What about it's about her. It's about her, and, and you can bring in those other people later. I always say don't feed the secondary characters until you know the journey of the main character. Right. Unless, unless you do, it's, it's, it's like a crash where you're telling maybe five, you know, four or five different stories uh, sort of within, within that world. Yeah. And then, yeah, you would pitch it collectively. You know, a group of women, uh, you know, wanting to have meaningless, blah, 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 blah. 
Oh, it's just a group of people. Oh, well, you know. Friends and neighbors. Wishful <laughs> thinking on uh, you know, He's right. Execution-based. 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 And again, be specific more. because look at how we bring our stuff to the table, right. right? You know, we bring all of our biases and all of our fantasies to the table. So if you're not specific about things, then, you know. All right, we're gonna, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go Ryan Patrick, man in the back. We're going to close out, and then if someone wants to pitch one afterwards while we're milling about, is that okay if someone wants to oh, come up? Oh, I'd love Just to mill about. It's 9 o'clock. Okay, great. Ryan. Hey, uh, I'm Ryan. Uh, it's a movie about a poor surfer kid and his friends who live in the South Bay uh, near Torrance, and there's been a massive pollution event that's been unsolved. makes the water unsurfable for them. They have this thing called Tidal Cough now, so they're kind of sick. He doesn't surf anymore, so his friends do, and gets sicker, and... Uh, it's sort of tragic. The only people who can surf are these rich, affluent kids who can afford these high-tech wetsuits that they kind of look like this. I don't know if you can see it. They got like masks. Visuals. And, you know, like bright two-tone colored sort of wetsuits. That would be like the first set piece that you would see. As a it's like the outsiders only at the beach. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Sure. Good pitch. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he can't surf really anymore. He's a gardener, uh, and he at this house uh, where this rich girl comes to, from Chicago to live with her dad, and he works at these nuclear power plants. Uh, he's, he's really depressed. And anyway, she's not happy there. She shows up for a holiday break, and she meets with a gardener and says, you know, what do you do besides gardening? He says, I surf, or I used to. And anyway, they, they sort of hit it off a little bit. She ends up getting pulled to the beach by her younger sister and thrown into this world of these rich surfer jerks with these high-tech wetsuits. And it's sort of a story about her being pulled into that world and so it's kind of like the karate kid at the beach. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm just... You're taking all the words. I don't know. That's amazing how you do that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this can't buy me love. I don't know if you saw that. Of course. Uh, so... But Can't Buy Me Love and all those other movies, uh, you know, have sort of very specific concepts, and you're still sort of dancing around right. yours. So the concept you're... is he, he's being pulled out of this surfing competition in Nevada Bay, which is one of the most famous surf spots in the world in Southern California, down by Rancho Palos Verdes. You can't surf there unless you got a wetsuit. He can't get one. Uh, this girl uh, who's pulled into this world of these rich kids uh, wants to be with him, but they, they're always picking on him. They're bowling him. They're throwing rocks at him. They're stealing their cars. They're keeping him out of the beach. So there's a conflict between these two groups of people, and she's trying to get away from this powerful surfer jerk. Uh, but it's his movie, not her movie. So it's about them coming together. It's a romance. Yeah. It's about them coming together. And his movie. Uh, yes. The answer is yes. It's yeah. his movie. It's his movie. He's the surfer who needs to get in the competition. He needs to get a wetsuit, uh, which he's being sort of blacklisted from getting. Uh, the manufacturers of the wetsuit won't give him one, but it's like $5,000. All right. So the, but helps so, him get one. All right. I, okay. I get it. Um, I, the world sounds a little more interesting than sort of the story purpose, the idea of uh, like, like, I get the idea of him needing to get into the contest because that's an archetype. So we all get it. We buy it. But the idea that he needs to get the suit, that it sort of all revolves around the suit, that could work. Um, but I just, it feels tenuous to me. Um, it just it doesn't feel like it's, that there's enough propulsion there to sort of really pr give the story the, the momentum that it needs. Because, like, just, like, go steal the fucking suit, you know? I, I don't know. Um, you can't get the suit. Like, you can't even buy one. There's a waiting He list. can rob one from one of the kids. You can't even think about from stealing those From those bad guys. Yeah, the bad guy. So he can go steal it. One of his yeah. friends tries that and gets killed. 
Oh, gets killed. Gets run over by a car. Okay. All right. So listen, I think you have a lot. I think you've got a lot of stuff there. I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm in my head. I'm saying it could work. I'm not, but I'm not convinced yet. Ryan, here's my note. Like this, not like this. It needs to narrow down to this. That's my note. By by staying with him. Don't worry about the girl so much. You know, stay with him. Stay focused on your protagonist because it's his story. Okay. So always stay with Moving your protagonist. Moving on, Patrick, and then one more, and then we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah, Patrick, go ahead. Uh, hi. Uh, trying to figure out this thing. Apparently. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, just getting a lot of since we had to have one of those. Uh, we are in the world as a television show, um, and don't tell Chuck Lorre this, but the multi-fam sitcom is an, ext- an extinct breed, save for one last show on television. It's, think of friends at, at the very, very end. It's dying. Uh, so this is the pitch? This is the pitch. Okay, got it, got it. This is the actual... This is the show. This is the show. show. Okay, this got it, got it. Uh, yeah. our, our, our show is dying, and Okay. So think of 8 o'clock on Thursday, Friends airs, 8.30, the making of that episode airs. The making of becomes the biggest hit on television. It's kind of like the comeback. HBO's the comeback. A little Did bit. Did you watch the second season? Because that is a lot like the comeback. Just is it? Oh, yeah. It's a lot like the second season of the comeback. But go ahead. Uh, yeah. So it, it becomes oh, the first about season. the network wanting, wanting this now show to stay on the air. The actors thinking they're moving on. They've become the darlings of television and now become the Kardashians of television. We're fighting this world of, of, of Matt Perry now is not the star of the TV show. He's the opiate addict. And Courtney Cox is going through the ugly divorce as opposed to being a darling on our TV show. Um, and we have the network head fighting with, with the showrunner because they think they're done with the show. And we have this kid who's like thrust in the middle of this PMP situation um, as, as the documentarian. I mean, you know, it's like I think if I've kind of seen this, it work before. I think you so. could get heat from writing this. I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but my feelings about taking on a show about the business has a target that's this big. You can't miss by anything because they're very. They get these pitches all the time about and inside the you know. And people the in the business know the business, so they know it's like, look, you can come in and pitch to me about an archaeologist. I got my head up my ass. I don't, have a, I don't know anything about archaeology. You could, you could pitch something and go like, wow, that sounds so interesting, and you're full of shit. That's right. But you come to my office and you start to pitch the movie industry, TV business, I'm, I know it. Yeah. So then I'm like, that, that doesn't ring true to me. The target's this big, but I think if you wrote it, you could get attention from it. I do. I think it's an interesting If you idea. wrote it and it's, and it's good. Yeah, it has to be good. It's, got, that's, it's, it's always be good. contingent on being good. Okay, always good. Be good. Patrick, good. One more, and then we'll, afterwards you can, you can talk. We'll talk like uh, among ourselves because <laughs> I want to. It's getting late, and I want people to be able to go. Yeah. Hey, Clark. Hey, Clark. Animated comedy TV series. Okay. <laughs> All right, it's cute. Being, yeah. All right, clever. Pixar meets Adult Swim. It's a risque. It's smart like Pixar, but it's risque. A lot of sexual humor, and the 
Okay, I think don't don't pitch social no don't pitch philosophy. Always be careful of that. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, you always pitch conflict and character. Uh, but uh, I think the only thing that I would want to know if if we were actually pitching is that I'd want to hear more about about him being with these anarchist in insects and what that means and what that looks like and what the conflict is and what the comedy is. That's 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 what I would want to know because I don't I don't get a sense of that yet. But the setup is unique, and it sounds like it's fun. Yeah, and when you pitch a TV show like this, just so you know what you're going to go in and do for those of you, you're going to go in, you're going to tell them what, like a little preamble. You can do the log line. You can say who the characters are. You can talk about the pilot, and then you're going to talk about what five episodes of this show is going to look like to give them a sample of it, and probably. Probably then we would fall in love with it and buy your pitch on the spot. Because I do like it. I think it's an interesting idea. Are you an animator? No. No. All right. And that would help. That would help a lot, Go actually. be an animator. Yeah. And then do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you can draw your own sketches and things like yeah, that. Yeah, because, you know, in this town, especially for animated features, not all of them, but most of them are being created in-house by animators. Uh, I mean, there have been a few spec animated scripts that have sold, but... It's, it's true. It's so, it's Very so hard. rare. It's but like, yeah. It, again, it could get you noticed. If it's smart, it can get you noticed. And that matters, especially at the level that you guys are at. Okay, I want to say a couple things. First of all, it's so funny you said to me, don't ask me questions. Let's just open it up to pitches. I want to thank you for your tireless energy. Oh, I mean, really, this was a long night, and I really, really want to thank you. You did. You did. You, you did not phone it in. You stuck it out with everybody. If people want to have a few words with us afterwards to pitch some things, I just feel like I want people to feel like they can get out of here because it is getting late. And thank you all for your patience because, you know, I, I don't, they're all sitting there going to whisper to each other, I'm not buying it. These two, I'm not buying it. This is not a show. They we didn't buy our have, pitch. They didn't buy our pitch. We no. actually have a pretty good rapport. Yeah, fuck yeah. Good, good cop, rapport. bad cop. That's we right. might need to take this on the road. Yeah, yeah, for your next Emmy Award winning uh, pitch session. Okay, we're going right. to do it. Thank you guys for coming, and uh, thanks again. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.